Glad you could join us, Tracy. <laughs> we thought you'd be much more comfortable meeting us here in the basement of your girlfriend's apartment building while she's away at work. You know, Dick, you mind if I call you Dick? My associates here would very much like to see you have a little accident. <laughs> but I tell them, no. I'll take care of Tracy myself, I tell them. You know why? I want you on my side! <laughs> and let me tell you what my side is. My side is a lifetime of action and adventure with no clock to punch. It's treating that gal of yours 100%. She should be treated like a princess, protected like a baby. You gonna put all that money down there? 15,000 clams. It's a deal. 15,000 clams. Welcome to New Waters, Dick. We're gonna run one hell of a ship with you aboard. There's a big world out there, and it's up for sale, all of it. All we gotta do is make sure that the people know I'm the one big enough to run it. And that you are guilty of attempting to bribe an officer of the law. Hey, Not hey. so fast, copper. You dumb dick. Let's give it to him! Okay, boys! Do it! You have just said goodbye to oxygen. You silly, stupid cop. You refuse me. I offer you the keys to a kingdom, and you tell me you're an officer of the law. I am the law! Me! Boys, you guarantee me that this is going to look like an accident. Don't disappoint me. So long, sucker. You should have made the deal. Yeah, you're gonna have one terrible accident, Tracy. I don't know, you think they're gonna find you, boss? Dumb dick. I didn't think Tracy would take a bribe. Ow! This accident's been waiting to happen all day, Tracy. You sure you don't want to change your mind? Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch me in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. It was kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Calling Film Effect Podcast. Come in. Welcome everyone to Noir November Month here on the Film Effect Podcast, where we give movies the full effect deep dive for the Film Effect Archive. We had hoped to kick off the event last week, but unfortunately had to postpone our Dark City episode while Corey's recovering from a minor health incident. 
He's doing much better. Come Sunday day, actually. So while we keep him with us in spirit, let's get to this week's episode. I'm Ed. I'm Justin. And this is Dick Tracy. Out of the headlines, I'm rubbing him out. Hey, Tracy, what's up? You take Tracy to me. I say we kill Tracy now. You challenge me, we all go down. Are you gonna arrest me? I want to know who killed Lips Manless. Not the bad, not the bad, big boy, not the bad. I know, and I'm gonna miss you. But all's fair in love and business. Whose side are you on? The side I'm always on. Okay, boys, let's go. And you, guilty of attempting to bribe an officer of the law. She does some nifty undercover work. I think Tracy drives you crazy, doesn't he? I want Tracy dead! Tracy, let's get him! Good luck. You have just said goodbye to oxygen. Aren't you gonna frisk me? Stupid cop. Tracy? In Dick Tracy, the comic strip detective finds his life vastly complicated when Breathless Mahoney makes advances towards him while he is trying to battle Big Boy Caprice's United Mob. Here we are, finally giving Dick Tracy the thumb effect treatment, a movie that I've always seemed to forget about after a handful of years, but then something always reminds me of the film, and I'll go back, revisit it, be blown away all over again. It's just a whole wash, rinse, repeat process, but yeah... I'm a real big fan of this one. Dick Tracy's a property that you can tell that means a great deal to Warren Beatty. Not only is he the star of the film, but he's also the director and the producer. And you can just tell from watching this film, you can just tell how important this IP is to Beatty because he gave his he gave his movie a ton of love and it shows every single frame. Um, let's just say we had a lot to talk about. So uh, yeah, Justin, where are your uh, earliest memories of Dick Tracy, both the character and the film? I mean, the character, the, the funny thing is, like, in 1990, nobody, I think, but Warren Beatty gave a shit about Dick Tracy. Like, it was just like an old 1930s <laughs> thing, I think. You know. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier myself. I'm like, where did this even come from? In 1990, <laughs> you know, of all the IP properties, like, Dick Tracy? Okay. Well, that's like, it, it makes sense to me because, like, Warren Beatty, my, my opinion of Warren Beatty is... Like, I've always found him to be, like, a block of wood. Like, I know he's got this reputation of being, like, uh, like a charming, very intelligent. And I just, none of that comes through to me at all. Like, I just always found him, like, sort of boring, unlikable. Um, like Same. The, the movies of his to be, like, Shampoo and um, the Parallax View, like, not that they're bad movies by any means, but I just have a hard time connecting with them. Like, I, people love Shampoo, and I just, I cannot get into that movie. I've tried. Um, and then, like, with his movie, like, 
Heaven Can Wait, I haven't watched in a long time. I do remember liking that a long time ago. Um, but Reds, I just, I didn't love. Um, yeah. Let's see. Um, like I, mean, some I, other I like Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde's good, but that's another one I haven't watched start to finish in a very long time. Like 30. I've always liked that. Um, Are you thinking about Ishtar? <laughs> uh, now, Ishtar, I fucking love. I love Ishtar. <laughs> Ishtar got a really bad rap at the time because of its production, but like, and nobody judged the movie for itself. And the past few years, it seems it's like undergoing a reappraisal, which I'm glad for because that movie, I've always loved Ishtar. I never got the hate for that. Um, But were you you thinking about Bugsy? Bugsy's pretty good. I watched that. I rewatched that again like a year or two ago. It's not great, but it's a good movie. And it's not a, that's one of his maybe his best performance in my opinion is Bugsy, um, but yeah. So like that's all a long way of saying that it makes sense to me that like Warren Beatty's idea of like doing a, a Batman type um, movie adaptation is like Dick Tracy is the character that he latched onto like the squarest, most boring, just old. You know what I mean? Like. Now, having said all that, I fucking love the movie, so we'll get into all that. But, um, yeah, it's just that doesn't surprise me, though, that Dick Tracy is, is the comic book that, that Warren Beatty would want to bring to the big screen. Yeah, I was thinking about it earlier, um, th- this as well. It's the, the fact that when you, when you take a step back and you look at Warren Beatty's career as a whole, he hasn't done much. His filmography yeah. is super small. Yeah, I was I, I was surprised by that. I noticed that today myself. Like, yeah, especially like, as a director, I was like, I could have swore he directed more movies than this. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. I expected to have like twenty films to look at or something like that because I was kicking around some uh, top five ideas and I was like, maybe we can do Warren Beatty films. I looked at his filmography. I'm like, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, because it would have been a real slim list. Because it's, it's. I don't even think I have five total I can choose from. Right. It's, it's that little. Um. I mean, even acting. I mean, obviously, his acting career is larger than his, you know, the uh, filmmaking career. But still, I, I don't know what it was after this. I noticed that he did like three films with Annette Bening. Just that came out of nowhere. Well, they're um, hairy. They, 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 you know, they were up, they? Yeah, yeah, they hooked up after, but like during Bugsy, is, they've been, they've been married that, you know, since Bugsy. Are they still married? Yeah, yeah, they're still together. Wow, how did I not know that? Oh, that makes sense. They got married in '92, 30 years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always knew that, like Shirley McLean was his sister. Um. That I, I, okay, I didn't know that. But it makes sense. Because um, even his new... F- oh, no, I say new. Jesus Christ, six years old. His latest film, Rules Don't Apply, she was also in. So, yeah, I'm surprised that, you know, she wasn't in Bullworth. Where are you at on Bullworth? Are you a big Bullworth I've, fan? I've never seen Bullworth. I'd actually... No? No, I would actually like to go... It just always looked terrible to me. Um, but oh, I, would, I love Bullworth yeah, so now much. Yeah, I have sort of a, a curiosity about it. I'd like to Dude. Dude, just the, the the sight of Warren Beatty wearing baggy clothes and sunglasses <laughs> with a beanie, <laughs> like, and he starts rapping the whole movie. Like, right. it's it's great. It is. Sean hates it. Like him and I go back and forth on that movie and shit. Yeah, like, I think I would probably feel like Sean. And he's never understood like my admiration for it because like that's a film that I I saw when it first came out back in '98. 
because <laughs> I was always curious. I'm like, a rapping Warren Beatty. I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know what it is about that movie. I've always been a fan of it. It's up to you. What do we do? What do we do? Well, it's up to you. You know, it ain't that funny. You contribute all my money. You make your contribution, then you get your solution. As long as you can pay, I'm going to do it all your way. Yes, the money talks and the people walk. Yeah. Now, let me hear you say it. Big money. 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 Really real. The name of our game is Let's Make a Deal. Now people got the problems, the haves and the have not, but the ones that make me listen pay for 30 second spots. 30 seconds. Yeah. 30, 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no one talks about Bullworth. Poor Bullworth. But um, yeah, we can start talking about this film here, uh, Dick Tracy. Let's kick it off by first time viewings. Uh, it's it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to honestly, I can remember my first time seeing this. Funny enough, um, my cousin at the time was working at the video store, one of these mom and pop video stores, and she would always keep the the screeners, the VHS, you know, promo screeners that they would get from time to time. When I, years later, when I got a job at Blockbuster, we would get a couple of them in every so often, depending on the studio. But I remember seeing this when it first came out on VHS. I remember because she brought them here and like just gave them to me half the time. So she gave me this. I remember the VHS box had like, like a warning on it, like, you know, that it's a screener not to be sold and shit like that. And, um, yeah, that was my first time seeing this on a VHS screener with a watermark at the bottom every like 20 minutes or so pop up. Um, yeah, back in that, that must've been either late 90 or early 91. So yeah, I, 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 my, my ties to this film go way back. How about you? Yeah, I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I don't think I saw this in the theater. I'm, I'm almost positive of that, but I could be wrong. Maybe I did, but if not, then it's pretty much as soon as it came out on VHS. I remember being, despite the fact that I, you know, I had no attachment to Dick Tracy, and like I said, I've, I've never been the biggest Warren Beatty fan. I was oddly excited for this when it was like coming out. I think just coming off of Batman and just wanting to see more of that type of movie. Um, yeah. It was getting a lot of praise. Yeah. So I know I saw it as soon as I could. Again, it might have been in a theater, but if so, I, I don't have any memories of that experience. But um, if it was on VHS, it would have been pretty much the first month or so that it came out. All right. Uh, before we get into things, uh, story time. Tell me a story. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. 
You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. First thing that always stands out to me when it comes to Dick Tracy is that radio watch. And <laughs> dude, you had no idea how badly I wanted one of those. I remember when um, I used to play over at Corey's when we were both kids. He actually had like a little replica toy radio watch that I used to always fucking want. So when we were there, naturally, I'll always wear it. Like I was such a dork, but who the fuck cares? I also remember the Nintendo video game for this that it spawned and how impossible it was to beat. Like that game was so fucking hard. Just for some reason, I have like vivid memories of playing the game or struggling through it. It's more like it. Over Thanksgiving break in the early 90s when it first came out, um, just everyone came over and shit, and I'm upstairs in the spare bedroom just on the floor, Indian style, just playing the shit out of this game, trying to play. Did you ever play the the, the, the video game? No, I don't remember a Dick Tracy <coughs> video game. <coughs> it wasn't funny enough. It came out, you know, obviously the same time as the movie for the original <coughs> Nintendo, but it wasn't based on the movie. It was based on the comic strip. <laughs> Even better. What kid wouldn't want to play that? I know, right? And you you actually had to, like, solve a crime. You had to go around town and, like, get clues. <laughs> it, was, it was ahead of its time, but it was hard as shit. Like, you drive through the city and random people would be, like, shooting at you through the windows. <laughs> and, like, if your car got hit, like, three times, it would spin out and you would die. And it's, like, that game, I remember it also didn't have a save system nor did you uh, I'm pretty sure you had to play it all the way through without dying because there was no there was no saving maybe you had a password option but like I remember like you just it was hard to get one or something it was just a hard game sounds and like a horrible game <laughs> it was it was dude if you're familiar with the angry video the, the angry video game nerd on youtube like his episode on the, the dick tracy <laughs> game is like classic but yeah um i don't know i'm assuming that's a no for you playing the game before or no, owning a watch I yeah i don't remember that I, I don't remember a dick tracy video game did you have a radio watch no, it's funny. That was going to be my story times. I really like don't have. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a, a memory of of like watching the movie, um, but I, I and I was like, you, you said being nerdy. I was like seventeen at the time, and I wanted one of those. <laughs> but right. a, I realized I was too old for one. B, I think they were like a hundred and some dollars, like the the nice ones, not the replica. The ones. nice ones, right? Not like Corey had. All right, and then I realized, like, let's say I do get one. Who the fuck am I going to talk to on it? Like nobody else is going <laughs> to have one. Like it would be pointless. So, right, right. So yeah, but no. Theoretically, I I just thought they looked like the greatest thing ever. So yeah. I, I, oh, dude. So. And then like fifteen years later, or whatever it was, or twenty years rather, Apple would have the iWatch yeah, or right. whatever. And like I, that was the first thing that came to mind when they announced that. I was like, oh Christ, not everyone's going to be Dick Tracy. Come in, Dick <laughs> Tracy. Come in. So, yeah. All right, well, let's get to live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit, off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat. 
Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. All right, top five films based on comic strips. Let's not be too obvious here, fellas. All right, number five for me is Adam's Family Values. Uh, dude, I, I love this movie. Uh, it's You ever seen this one? The I sequel? Have, I... I like I knew you were gonna have Adam's Family on here. I've never seen any Adam's Family movie. No, I've barely seen episodes of the show. I've just never been in. I, I never watched Monsters the show. I, I just I just watched the the Barry Sonnenfeld films. Right, right. And they, I think again, it's one of those things where like you guys were kids. I'm sure like Corey, Jocelyn, Andrew. I'm sure you guys all like have seen and love them. Um, but just being a little bit older at the time, I was like, nah, that doesn't really... You were just too cool for school. It wasn't even too school. It just didn't really appeal to me. I was, again, not being an Adams Family guy, um, I just didn't, I just didn't care. You, you wanted the Dick Tracy watch. Exactly. But you didn't give a shit about Adams Family. Yeah, I don't know. I just... Too old for that. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I wanted to make sure I got you straight. I don't know. Yeah, right. No, you make a good point. I don't... <laughs> I, I don't know. I just those it just never appealed to me. No, nah, to each their own. I get it. I get it. Um, well, you know, uh, Adam Silly values most people who are familiar with the two films either prefer values or remember values for its batshit crazy subplot with like uh, Joan Cusack and her character, and um, also they reference. Uh, Wednesday and Pugsley going off, getting like sent to summer camp, and they're like obsessed with uh the, the the pilgrimage and shit, and they have to do a recital or a play or something. Rather, I haven't seen the film in about five or six years, so. But yeah, it's 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 a crazy film. Um, I got I gotta go back and rewatch that one. It's 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 been a minute since I've seen Values, but Values is pretty damn good. So for a sequel, that is it's pretty good. How about you? What's your five? Um, so I knew I was going to have a hard time with this one. I'm like, fucking comic, like not comic book, but comic strip movies. I was like, fuck. I was actually in a pickle thinking of a top five for this episode. So, you know, that one came kind of late because I was going to about, I was about to give up. And then I was like, wait a minute, comic (laughs) strips, duh. Just do the obvious thing. Right. No, exactly. but comic strips are so such an old timey thing. Like I like, sent you that link. Yeah, right. No, and I'm glad you did because <laughs> I, I would have ended up there myself. I would have been like comic strip movies. So I didn't. I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to find five, but I did. Um, but I say all that because number five is a little bit of a stretch for me. It's Friday Foster, uh, Foster Pam Greer movie from the 70s. Yeah, I know what it is. The reason why I say it's a stretch is only because I haven't seen it in a very long time. Like, I know I liked it when I saw it. I was going to say, it definitely counts. Yeah, I I liked it when I saw it. And I've always meant to go back and rewatch it because I've seen Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown a bunch of times. But I've never gone back and rewatched Friday Foster. So, um, again, a little bit of a stretch for my number five, but that's it. No. Uh, number four for me is Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. My all-time favorite Charlie Brown film. Um, I have it on Blu-ray. Uh, if it was out on 4K, I'd own it on that too. Uh, no, at that one, I just always remember growing up watching it. That was like even as far back as I can remember watching movies as a little kid. I have memories of that film and the whole... Um, are you familiar with that one, first of all? 
I guess we'll get it out of the way. Oh, I guess we're talking Charlie Brown. You're way too old for that shit. No, no. I'll get it out of the way. My number four was Charlie. I I just put Charlie Brown because there was all those different Charlie Brown movies. But if I had to pick (laughs) one, it would be Race for Your Life. Nice. Okay, so you are familiar with it. Cool. I remember. I always remember the 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 race and the the rat the you know the uh the rafts and right. The thing they all had their own customized raft. The thing I always think about when I think about that is, are you did you watch it on DVD or you actually saw it on like broadcast TV? Uh, I actually had it on VHS. I had a tape when I was a kid. Like when I say a kid, I was very young watching this film. Like when I say as far back as I can remember, like I was like three or four watching this movie. Right. Yeah, I was very like. What year did this come out? Do you know? It was like seventy six or seven. It It was in the mid to late seventies. Yeah. So I was I was very young when I was watching this too. And the thing I always remember, I would watch it on broadcast TV, and every time they went to a commercial. They would show you like a, a frame of the like them on the rapids, and it was the theme yeah. song. It, it would just be them the race <laughs> for your life. Like they would yes. always do like that going into a commercial break. Yeah, like, might even have done it coming back from the commercial. But that's what I always think of whenever I think of that movie. Yeah, they're customized rafts, and uh, Snoopy on the motorcycle is another one that stands out to me on that one. But yeah, that that's uh, that's my favorite one. But all sure. that Charlie Brown, she like, and, and technically they're not movies, but the the Christmas special, the the Great Pumpkin, even yeah, the, the Great Pumpkin's so good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I used to love all that shit. So yeah, I, I'm glad we found a way to get that on the list. Nice, nice. All right, well then, number three for me is Flash Gordon. I love Flash Gordon. Hell, I met what's his face. He plays Flash Gordon a few years ago. Uh, Sam, um, Sam Jones. Oh, yeah, Sam Jones. Sam Jones, guys, fucking a hoot. He's cut. He pretty much is the person that he plays in Ted Two. Um, but yeah, that guy's a lot of fun. And you know who doesn't love Flash Gordon? I want to meet one person who doesn't like Flash Gordon. Come to be like, what's wrong with you, man? It's Flash Gordon from everything from the Queen song Flash to you know Max von Sydow to. You know, it, 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 the movie just, it's great. It's cheesy as all hell. I think that's what I love most about it is its cheesiness. Um, yeah, man, Flash Gordon, you know, he plays for the Jets. Now he's the savior of the universe. All right. How about you? What's your number three? My number three is Robert Altman's Popeye. Okay. Did you, have right. you ever seen Popeye? I have not. For it, and I think I, me and Sean have had this conversation before on the podcast. It's unfortunate. I just, I don't know. I grew up as a Popeye fan. The cartoon that is, mm. that is. I'd never seen the the, the live action Robert Alton film with uh Robert Williams and uh um what's her face Shelley Duvall. Shining. Thank you, Duvall. Shelly Duvall. Paul Smith and Peter Dell had a brain fart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've never seen it though. Yeah, it's it's yeah, apparently like, the filming that apparently the filming locations are still yeah, there. Malted, still there. I'd, I'd love to yeah. see that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a movie. It was pretty much universally hated when it came out. I remember seeing yes. this one as a kid. Yes. I saw this in the movie theater. I always liked it. Like you know, I was a kid, so um, mm-hmm. I never had a problem with. It. I remember have I had the soundtrack on vinyl as a kid. I used to listen to that all the time. Um. But I rewatched like as an adult, I would watch it every probably once, like every 10 years. And I watched it again earlier this year, actually. 
and I was afraid I wasn't going to like it. And I liked it as, it, you know, it's not a perfect movie. It's got problems, but it's really fucking good in a lot of ways, too. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm a huge Altman nerd anyways. But so um, maybe I give him a pass for things other people wouldn't. But yeah, I check it out if you get a chance. It's a, If nothing else, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to need to, especially, I just thought about it. The, uh, the song, he needs me. From yeah. My favorite film, punch drunk. Right. Love is taken from that. Yeah. And it's, so beautiful, if anything, it's I should... beautiful in context in in Popeye. That scene, that scene is like, as as much as like, you know, you and I disagree on this. I don't like punch drunk love, but that's maybe my favorite scene in the movie because of that song. Um, right, you know that song. Just there's something about it, and it's it's great in in the scene in Popeye. I have it if you want. You know, it's not. I know you're you're like a four HD snob at this point. So if you want my crummy, shut up, I'll still watch my it. crummy basic bitch copy. I have of it if you want to borrow it. <laughs> I'll take it. Oh shit! All right, number two then. Adam's family. Uh, let's just finish this off. I think the Adam's family is. I don't know. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite comic strip films, but it's just a film that I grew up watching. <laughs> Funny enough, I bought that that film when it first came out on video um, from BJ's. <laughs> um, I don't even know why I remember where I got it from, but it was just sitting out there. And I just really wanted to watch it and shit, so my mom got it for me. And uh, yeah, been a big fan of it ever since. Dan Hedaya and... Uh, yeah, it's just a good movie. It's hard to talk to you about it because you've never seen it before. So I know. Sorry, I'm bringing the house. <laughs> no, you're no, no. You're good. You're good. You're good. So it's it's a dark film. I mean, the film kicks off with like this fucking carolers getting theirs in a fucked up way. But yeah, it's 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 dark and spooky, creepy and kooky. The Adams family. All right, number one, for, uh, number two for you. Um, my number two is Dick Tracy for reasons we will get into. All right. Well, the number one for me is Dick Tracy for reasons we're going to get into. <laughs> What's your number one film? My number one's Flash Gordon. Fucking. All right. It, I, I don't have like favorite, like top, if you ask me my top five favorite movies, it could be different every day. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that sort of thing. But if I did like gun to my head, have to pick a five, all, you know, top five all time favorite movies. Flash Gordon could theoretically make its way onto that list. That's how much I nice. like that movie. Yeah, that, yes. that's another one I've been watching. Saw it in the theater. Been watching it since I was a kid. Loved it from day one. Probably love it more now. It. I love it. I was thinking about it, and this is something I never would have said when I was like ten. But I think I like it better than Star Wars. And Star Wars was like the movie. I'm not a huge Star Wars nerd at this point in my life, but. Star Wars was like the movie that kicked it all off for me. So that was my favorite anything for the longest time. But as an adult, I think I like Flash Gordon better. Wow. I think you just pissed off a lot of people. And I love comment. Star Wars. I, nothing against Star Wars. <laughs> Maybe I've just gotten sick of it over the years. Hey, I'm just a casual Star Wars fan, so I'm not going to fight you on that right, one. Right. I mean, I know I like Flash Gordon more than Star Wars, but I, to you, I know I know what star wars means to you you might want to say oh I don't, i'm not much of a big star wars fan you are still the guy who will fight me on last jedi okay i don't want yeah, to yeah. hear this I, I i was i was 
a big Star Wars fan, I would say, up until Last Jedi. That was where I just kind of gave up and said, okay, it's it's something different now that's not for me. You know, I don't go crazy about it. I'm not like, you ruined my childhood. Like, the prequels, <laughs> like, inundated me to anything Star Wars from here on out. Like, and I've come to, like, I used to hate the, the, the prequels. And I've come to sort of embrace them, not embrace them, but live with them and find a way to watch them where I don't want to pull my hair out the entire time. You've accepted them. Yes. And I haven't got to that point with the Disney one. The Disney ones, I don't even, I just, I don't care. Like they're so, the whole thing was so poorly done that I just don't even care. Like I, I don't have the energy to even get mad at those movies. I'm just like, whatever. If they're on, I'll look at them, but right. I'll probably never put them on myself to watch ever again. Did you see Rise of Skywalker in the theater right. or did you wait to a video? I saw it. I've seen every Star Wars movie in the theater except for Solo, which I actually really okay. like. So I wish I had gone to the theater to see that. Um, but Rise of Skywalker is an awful, awful, awful movie. Yet, <laughs> I think it's the most entertaining of the three Disney ones. So it's the one if I had to pick one to watch, oddly enough, it would be that one. And it's a terrible movie. Oh, yeah. It is. I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to hear anything different from me. I I know it is. It bored the shit out of me. See, I don't find it boring, though. That's the thing. Like, it's it's Star Wars in such a mindless way. I'm like, there's lightsabers and laser, which they all have, of course. But, like, there's just something about the way it was so mindlessly done in this one that I'm just like, I'd already given up on the story after Last Jedi. So I'm like, I could really not care less what happens. Just give me eye candy for the next two and a half hours and I'll be happy. And that's what happened. So I was satisfied. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think we can get into Dick Tracy now. Talk about that for a little bit. The film itself was the highest grossing film of Warren Beatty's career. No shit, right? Yeah. It was originally slated to be released through Disney themselves, but Disney passed on it for their uh, Touchstone Pictures label as the film was deemed too racy for the Disney reputation. There's no doubt in my mind the scene with Madonna that we're going to be talking about in a little bit has a big part of the reason why it was uh, pushed down the touchdown and not released to Disney themselves. Um, filming began on February 1st, 1989 and ended on April 27th, 1989 after 85 days of filming using 53 interior sets and 25 exterior sets. The production employed 305 cast, crew, and post-production personnel. Post-production took almost a year to complete and it shows a two-hour and 15-minute version of the film exists, as confirmed by Warren Beatty in a 2002 interview, but he was forced to cut the film, the, the current one-hour and 45-minute version, at the insistence of then-chairman of Walt Disney, Jeffrey Katzenberg, prior to release. Uh, Pacino has stated in interviews that he enjoyed working on this film, saying that Warren Beatty made, quote-unquote, a wonderful artistic film, even though now it's like it doesn't even exist. I agree with him 
alluding to the notion that it's a movie that barely gets talked about after all these years. And, you know, I think you and I were talking about this briefly. I, I No one talks about this movie. It's like, what? And even, you know, me, I'll go like four or five years and without watching it. And then I'll go back and watch it after, you know, someone talks about it or maybe, um, you know, just thinking randomly and i was like oh yeah dick tracy and i'll go back and revisit it and it's like where the hell's this movie been these last few years you know like there's just something about this movie i keep forgetting about it and then i'll go back to it and like it'll be an automatic reminder of why i like this movie so much yeah it's it's one of those for me too and like there's there's a bunch of i think we talked about it on or maybe it was me and sean i don't know on our return of the living dead episode like that's a movie where like I've loved it ever since I was a kid. And then, but there'll be years where I'll go without watching it. And then I'll watch mm-hmm. it again. I'm like, why the fuck has it been like five years since I last watched this? Like, yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those movies, but even more so than Return of the Living Dead. Like, I'll go 15 years before I watch, you know, in between viewings of this and then like watch it again today. And I'm like, why the fuck haven't I watched this recently? This is a <laughs> great fucking movie. Yes, exactly. Uh, 21 Villains from the Chester Gould comic strip appear in the movie. Um, Warren Beatty wanted to put in as many characters from the comics into the film as he could, just in case the film didn't have a sequel. Aha. Uh-huh. For the film's nationwide midnight premiere, moviegoers had to purchase t-shirts at the theater in advance and printed with an admit one, t- uh, admit one ticket, and the t-shirt had to be presented to gain admission. No tickets were to be sold at the premiere showing, but some theaters cheated and sold t-shirts that evening i didn't know about this but i actually came across this tidbit actually more than one of my references were talking about this i i don't remember any of the the film's theatrical handling i was six years old at the the time um yeah so yeah i don't remember it's it's, it's pretty interesting though um i mean it's it's definitely different I'm, i'm not quite sure what it is about dick tracy that appeals to t-shirts but whatever <laughs> um this one i do remember though the roger rabbit short roller coaster rabbit was attached to this theatrically the oh that's funny minute. yeah because there were like three of those i know one was attached to uh honey i shrunk the kids in 89 and then this one was warren Beatty's dick tracy but i cannot remember what the third one was maybe they waited I'm thinking off the top of my head. I'm thinking maybe they waited until the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Baby in 92, maybe. I know there were three, because all three of them were on my Roger Rabbit disc. Yeah, I forgot all about those. Yeah. Because they treated it like it's a, like a theatrical one-off. Yeah. Kind of like Marvel. Like Marvel used to do that when they first, you know, back like the first four or five years or so, they had like the Marvel one shots i think they were called or something like that but anyway um the villains in this film big boy is the boss of flat top and itchy lips is the boss of the five card playing villains in the beginning unlike in the comic where villains each arose and fought tracy one by one in a fashion largely independent so basically like you know there was no like hierarchy there's it was just everyone fended for themselves kind of like batman villains like they were all individual 
Whereas in this movie, a lot of them team up together. Like I mentioned, you know, Big Boy works when he works above Flat Top and Itchy, who are always together. And then Lips, who we'll you know we'll talk about momentarily. Paul Sorvino, he's the boss of the five guys playing poker in the beginning that the kid you know wanders into. So I think that that you know it. What, how else are you gonna take all these villains? I think I said twenty one were were fitted in this movie and make them all you know individual people you, you can't do that it's impossible especially for an hour and 45 minute film so as for the film itself first thing we get is that black and white touchstone pictures logo followed by danny elfman's trademark score i mean the year is 1990 what film isn't danny elfman scoring <laughs> you know what i mean so typically i'm a big fan of elfman's sound even though I'll admit it's basically the same thing every fucking movie arranged <laughs> differently. But this might be one of the best scores because of how much it fits that 30s aesthetic that Warren Beatty's going for here. Like, yeah. top three, 100%. In fact, Danny Elfman was hired because Beatty was a fan of his work based on the Batman score. When working with Beatty, Elfman did not have the same love. He said Warren was quote-unquote insane. Um... News radio plays as we see Dick Tracy gathering up his badge and radio watch as the screen. We don't we don't see Tracy. We just see his hands putting the badge and radio together as the screen pans up to reveal the title card. Again, with the aesthetic, the news radio, another layer to what I've been talking about, the look and feel of this film. We see Tracy leaving his apartment as the shot transpires across town to Charlie Corsmo's kid. I want to talk about these scene transitions using the city landscape to pull back at the end of one scene and to enter enter another. That um, I don't think I've ever seen something like this ever done before in a major motion picture. Even today, we don't ever see stuff like this. Like this was just really fucking cool. What do you think about this? Like this is just different, you know, because it, it, you see Tracy like leaving his apartment, and then the camera just kind of pulls back, and you get like this broad city shot, and then it just cuts across town to the kid in the dumpster beside, you know, before he gets chased away or doesn't get chased away. He runs away from the cops. Yeah, I, I, I like made a note of just like the matte paintings, the miniatures, yes. just all the different like old school tricks. Like there's there's more than one split diopter shot in this movie. Like oh, I'm gonna talk about that soon. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. have something else that I want that that's really unique about this movie. And it's just like I I always found again. I, I'm probably gonna be like harping on not being a big Warren Beatty fan a lot this episode, but like it, the movies he directed, I just have always kind of found the ones I've seen found to be a bit dry like um, boring yeah look, cold yeah. as it is right and like and this and again i don't know so i was wondering today i'm like how much is this movie indebted to the tim burton batman movie like was it being made a lot but the thing is like this came out a year after so would would they have been able to see it and put a bunch of that into this i mean i guess there was enough time to do it um so uh, yeah, I mean, it's it definitely just seems like it's a movie that was made on the heels of you know like Tim Burton's Batman set some sort of template, and this was the first one to come on the heels of that and, and replicate it as much as possible. You know, well, and, remember and attempt to make a billion dollars at the box office. Right. Remember this though, they filmed it 
in early 89. So obviously Batman hadn't been seen yet. Right. That's, Batman that's came the out point in June. I, but I know, I know, I know, but I was I'm gonna add to that though and, and kind of help your point out a little bit. Keep in mind as well, that was just filming. They still had a whole other year to do this thing in post. Yeah. So a lot of the post effect elements, you know. The, the, the Danny Elfman score is one of them. Yeah, that's you know not- came because at that point they were able to see, you know, that uh, with the they were able to see Batman, the final product. Yeah, you know, at that point. So uh, a lot of things, I still say, even though they already had the film, well, film shot, all that, you know, there's still things they could do in post, such as the sound and, um, just different things like. The, what we're talking about now, the, the matte paintings and the way the, the scenes are, are the transition shots and stuff like that. You know, it's just little things. And it's and it's like the the city here is a much brighter city than Gotham City. Like, they, they might replicate some of the techniques, but they didn't go so far as to make it look like Gotham City, which a lot of movies did after Batman. There's a lot of, like, you can see that influence and in, in, like I would say even the crow something like that you know you can see things where Gotham City was an influence on that but this is you know like dark expressionistic that sort of thing and here it's more like a color you know it's the colors pop and it's it's art deco it's it's a whole different aesthetic um even though they use some of the same techniques so it, it gives it a uniqueness it's not just a simple blatant Batman ripoff no because even you know just speaking about the original batman obviously because that was all that was available at the time was you know gotham really isn't much of i mean burden didn't really focus on gotham in that movie gotham is just yeah it's just a city i'd argue that gotham really wasn't they didn't really focus on gotham until like returns and especially when schumacher took over he really added, you know, his little touch to Gotham like it was its own, you know, character. But in the first Batman, though, I mean, Gotham, it's its any other city, you know, and, and, and you were talking about the Crow, you know, I think we talked about this one on the Crow episode that we did earlier. Um, you know, I think, you know, Detroit is what it's supposed to be, more or less. Uh, but they don't, you know, actually say it. The same thing goes right here. In this, it, it, you know, even though this city's unnamed, and I think it's the same way in the comic strip too, that the, the, they never like reveal the name of the city, or maybe it's something like Tracyville. I think I remember reading something about, but at least in, in, in the movie, it's not called anything. I think you see the name of some, I think you see like when a D that that big boy looks at, I think it says like Homeville or something to that effect. Other than that, no one ever actually ever says the name. You never hear the name. Nothing like that. It's its own character, but it's nameless. And, um, you know, it. Beatty really treats the character. I mean, he really treats the city like, you know, it's important. Like, it's meaningful. Like, it is a character in this film. Um, More so than what, you know, Burton did for Gotham in 89's Batman. You know. Um... Where am I at here? I was for a second trying to look at the score to see if the Colts actually beat the Raiders. Sorry, I had football in my mind for a minute. 
I gotta see this. Oh my god, they did! Holy shit! Holy shit! And I picked the Holy. Colts. Right? They're not picked the Colts this week. I think the Colts have Jim Saturday fucking coaching yeah. for them. A guy exactly. from ESPN, and he went and beat Josh McDaniels Raiders twenty-five to twenty. Holy! I said they're gonna rally around their new coach. Holy shit! Wow, that is awesome. That is so fucking awesome. Anyway, back to our scheduled podcast. So I wonder how long all these massive matte paintings took to create. How long would these actually take? I mean, probably the the full year. I mean, it's it's a lot of work that goes into these, and there's a lot of them. Like this was actually one of the last films to be made with paintings as backgrounds because CGI came into the picture and saved a lot of time and money, but the camera must remain still uh this is different here like now we're getting like like i said like we're getting full movement here with this film warren Beatty warned his camera people not to pan with the cameras as as or swivel to the left or right because that would make it obvious that the backgrounds were paintings a lot of that effect was done like we talked about in post um i just wish this movie came with more special features than a trailer because i'd love to see how they pulled this this all this off like we never got a proper like special edition of this movie um because it's always been like bare bones features like the trailer and that's pretty much it like the blu-ray i lent you the only trailer the only special feature on there is the trailer um and it's always been that way same thing goes for the dvd back when that came out um i remember about 20 years ago in 2002 there was a heavily rumored special edition of dick tracy that was supposed to come out through the uh touchstone line called it was like the buena vista series i remember science had one pop fiction had one and they're supposed to do one predict oh and pearl harbor had one and they're supposed to do one for dick tracy but then like at the 11th hour it got canceled and that always bummed me out because like this i've always felt that this film deserved a proper special edition so we can see those things you know i want to see them do this all this stuff and I, I always wondered you know exactly how much work went into this this design like this because it's so unique you know like they don't pull stuff off like this like warren biddy's able to do in this movie so it's, it's kind of like a one-of-a-kind thing so we get the kid hiding from the cops in a warehouse where a group of mobsters are playing a card game another thing about this movie that i've always been a sucker for is every villainous mobster's individual depiction like the makeup is so memorable from Forsyth's flat top to rg armstrong's prune face we got the late james khan as spud spadoni or spaldoni we got you don't even realize just how many actors are in this film until and you look Silva's at the cast. Got a pretty good role. Yeah, you know, you you realize like you you can't even tell like who some of them are because of the makeup. Like, here's an example. Did you know that after 32 years, I just discovered after this past viewing that Kathy Bates is the stenographer. Yeah, I, re- I realized that today. Like, and she didn't speak at first. I'm like, no, Kathy Bates. Like, like. This had to be He's around the stenographer time. in the interrogation he scene. Already won the Academy Award, right? Uh, not yet, but still, because you know, 
Misery, James Conn, her, same right. year as this. That was okay, Misery. I was thinking Misery was late 80s, okay. No, it was, it, it, it was uh, 90. Um, but yeah, I didn't even know she was in this movie until like I was actually looking at the cast, and I'm like, Kathy Bates, who the hell is she in this movie? And then it said, stenographer, and I'm like, that's her? Holy crap. <laughs> and I went back and played the scene with him and Mumbles, and I'm like, holy shit, that is her. Yeah. All these years, and I've, I've I've watched this film at least ten times, and I'm, I've never noticed that was her. I might have noticed it at some point yesterday. Never remember it, but so it's like a surprise every time I watch it. Yeah. So they like said the mobsters are at the table playing cards, and I always legit laugh when the fucking mobsters like here, kitty, kitty, and takes it and throws it across <laughs> the room. <laughs> um. But yeah, all of these villains here, Littleface, he was the villain that always stood out to me when I was a kid. Like, he's not even in the film for more than 30 seconds. He's got zero dialogue, but he was also one of the the hardest characters for the makeup people to create. Yeah, like, it just looks like a pain in the ass. But he was always the one that stood out to me, you know? Um, of course, he was created for the comic. Uh has a normal sized head with a face no bigger than the average adult nose in order to create this effect the child was cast as the character and then fitted into an oversized body and made up head as shown by behind the scenes photos yeah not behind the scenes features because he ain't gotten on his voice was dubbed in the film and cutaway shots where you only see his back were done by adult actor lawrence stephen myers so flat top and his men come crashing a party and they shoot all the characters dead scaring off the kid in the process we see flat top then shoot a message into the wall for tracy that says eat lead tracy of course it says eat lead typical mobster film i love it old school mobster shit right here doing the old writing the message on the wall using a tommy gun routine 10 points um tracy gets called to the scene from this opera date that he's going on with his girlfriend tess and yes this is the split diopter shot you were talking about um or at least one of them first of many yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And come on, the late and great Glenn Headley here is fucking Dick Tracy's love girlfriend, Tess. And yeah, she just does this really great job of playing the innocence in this person. Like a character who really gets put through a lot in this movie, but doesn't complain one bit, rolls up her sleeves, gets shit done still. Tess is one of my favorite characters, always has been. And Headley's just, just perfect believable just great you know Mr. Yeah, like, every time I, I see her and stuff like this right i always liked her and like she's another one i like look at her filmography i'm like i feel like i've seen her more stuff than i actually have it's like mostly from this and um dirty rotten scoundrels probably that that i'm most familiar with her like but i feel like i know her from 50 different things i always got her confused for another actress hang on um yeah, Melora Walters. I always confused her for Melora Walters. The, the you know voice talking maybe. about. Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know why. I always got them too confused. So, because Walters was in the butterfly effect and for years I thought it was Headley who Headley who yeah. plays Ethan who plays um Ashton Kutcher's mother in that film. I was like, yeah, Glenn Headley's in that movie. No, it's 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 not. <laughs> <laughs> and like so. to, to go back to the movie, like again, like 
I think Warren Beatty was born to play this character because Dick Tracy's such a stiff and like like he's he's a square like in the like the term like if somebody being a square but also like physically he's like he's kind of square like in the comics he all he had the square jaw but like he's boxy from like the the uh, trench coat and the suits that he wears like it all just kind of works in in like what an unhip character this is which just makes me like it the movie even more it's like it's not cool mm-hmm. at all like Batman was like Beatty took the most uncool character and, and made him fun to watch like he goes to the opera like instead of being at a jazz bar or something he's at the opera yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. he's just a square in every conceivable way you know you're right i never thought about that before but you're completely right <laughs> fucking opera <laughs> like and then they uh, like they and then they pan from the opera to ac- across town where there's like yes music playing you know oh yeah yeah because um That's it's uh big boy or, or no uh lips yeah lips um Paul's Ravino. Oh, I'm, draw- I'm drawing a blank. Club Ritz. That's what I'm thinking oh. about. The, the, the name of the place. That's what yeah. I'm trying to think for a second. Um, so yeah, Tracy shows up at the scene long enough to read the message and say Big Boy Caprice's name out loud. That's it. He listens to all the information from Seymour Cassell and James and Charles Durney and then he goes back to the opera with Tess in like less than a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Come in, Pat. This is Tracy. We got five dead men at the 7th Street garage and nobody knows who they are. You better get over here right away. I'm on my way. I'll be back. I want to know how it comes out. Excuse me. Hello, boys. Tracy. Tracy, are we glad to see you? Tracy, whoever they are, they're all dead. Five dead men, Tracy, and we don't even know who they are. Whoever did it took their identification. They didn't take a dime. Big boy Caprice. Everything all right, Tracy? Fine, fine. Just a little trouble downtown. So, yeah, the split diopter, notable moments such as him leaving and returning to this this opera like Beatty's not just doing it to do it it actually feels like it's the appropriate way to narrate the scene whenever it's included like he's using split diopter like and you know it, it to go with the with, with how I feel the, the, the way he's doing it, it it just blends in with the story well like it's like this up close shot of the two of them the split diopter and then in the distance you get the opera but the camera is actually focused on the, you know, Tess and, and, and Tracy with him leaving and coming back, you know. So while leaving the opera, Tess and Tracy are being showered with questions from the press. All while they're getting nonstop shots of them with their cameras. Tess talks to them on a first name basis, calling one of the guys who took their picture Charlie while telling him she wants a copy of the photograph. This is also the first we're hearing of Tracy potentially becoming chief of police, which Tracy hates the thought of because even though it's a promotion to most people, he sees it as being reduced to desk work. 
Um, originally, Sean Young was cast as Tess, but was fired after a few days of filming by Warren Beatty. Afterwards, Young publicly accused Beatty of firing her because, quote unquote, she wouldn't sleep with him. Although Deborah Ruff, Charlie Corsmo's mother, later disputed this, saying that the rumor was that she had been too demanding and that they just decided not to put up with it. Beatty issued a statement saying, I made a mistake casting her in the part and I felt very badly about it. Poor Sean Young. Because between this and <laughs> fucking thing. Batman Returns, like she was not having a good run in the 90s. She was reduced to basically accepting a role as a transgender person in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Like that was her fucking highlight from the 90s was turning around and having a dick. Yeah, I was going to say, she didn't get to be like a dignified transgender person. She was the butt of the joke like in the entire... Literally. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. The situation with Batman was a little different there because she did go a little crazy for that one. Like, dressing up as fucking Catwoman and like, just... I think, she, yeah, she was like, just making appearances at like, Tim, uh, Tim Burton's offices, like, just unannounced, like in character as the fucking woman because she wanted to play you know it's basically her way of auditioning for the part yeah and like, it didn't quite she, work i know she gets made fun of for that but if it had worked like if she had shown up dressed as Catwoman and tim burton just for whatever reason looked at her and went that's it that's exactly what i'm looking for and he cast and you <laughs> know slow clapping and he right and like he puts her in the movie and the movie's you know it turns out the same way it did now then it would be a story of like it would be like that would be part of the the uh, the legend like Sean Young like she got to play Catwoman because she showed up like you know like such determination she right. went above and beyond but because it didn't work she's like a kook <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> unfair totally backfired <laughs> oh man yeah I mean this isn't the first time I've heard stories like this about Sean Young behind the scenes. Yeah. Like, you know, she, come on. We, we've all seen, you know, Wall Street and <laughs> fucking Blade Runner and everything. She's just, I don't know, not the greatest. Maybe it's just the fact that she's just not a great actress. Or at least that's how I interpreted it as. Um, Another scene transition from Tracy and Tess to Club Ritz across town. Where Madonna's performing a number in front of Paul Sorvino's lips, who's uh, informed by one of his men about another warehouse of his being dumped off, or bumped off, rather. Sorvino's sucking down oysters so he can put on some weight to play Paulie and Goodfellas as soon as this motherfucker raps. I swear he is. He's just putting them down like slurp, slurp, slurp. This Madonna sits down. She's, like, disgusted. And tells him, you know, he's like, Oh, so so beautiful. I can't do his fucking his accent. <laughs> but uh, he, I don't know. He he tells her how beautiful her, her performance was. He should have said, "Now I got to turn my back." Before those fake cops come in and take him to the car with flat top inside of it, like these aren't real cops. Even Madonna's look of boredom here is great. She's like, can I get the hell out of here? Like, your disgusting eating habits making me violently ill. But she's so great at it. Um, Warren, uh, not Warren. Gene Hackman turned down the role of Lips because he couldn't bear being directed by Warren Beatty again after his experience on Reds. That's, that's the quote that I got. Um, I thought you were going to say you didn't want to put on the prosthetics. 
<laughs> yeah, that maybe. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be. I, I, I can't see. I cannot see Gene Hackman as his character. Like, I just can't. Like, I can't see Gene Hackman just sitting there, just slurping oysters nonstop because that's all Sorvino is doing. Um, I noted here that Robert Costanzo and Marshall Bell have cameos in this scene. Robert Costanzo is the guy who comes down and warns lips of the uh, the cops, and Marshall Bell plays one of the fake cops. So. There's your Marshall Bell cameo from the 90s. Flattop and his men are following, they're followed by a cop who watches them leave the club with all the uniformed officers sitting together up front. Once he's there, he calls for backup, but gets killed by Edo Ross's itchy. And then Tracy chases a kid from the diner back to his shack by the railroad. And there's this fucking guy with this square face in there who... I'm assuming this is the kid's dad. I, I'm not quite sure who this person is. Or is it a dad or is it just some fellow homeless guy who took yeah, I think him it's, in? I think it's just a hobo who took him on. Like I, because he at one point he said something about what mother and father or something or that they're dead. Some something he makes reference to his mother and father like not being there. So I, I don't think this guy's his father. Gotcha. I mean, the closest thing we get to it was after the fact. Uh, Beatty goes, "This cockroach, your old man." Right. And this is when he goes, "Go suck an egg." This cockroach, your old man. Go suck an egg. It's my favorite line from this movie when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and then I love it when Tracy comes in and he's like, "Hey, pick on someone your own size." And they get into a fight, and you see the camera. You see the fight from like the the pulled back camera, like the the city shot and it's just the shack just rocking back and yeah, forth I forgot about that and then I saw it that's camera. great I always love this shot yes I love it uh, Macaulay Culkin was considered for the role matter of fact he was offered the role as the kid but turned it down as he preferred to uh, being home alone instead hmm, good choice I mean that no that didn't stop Catherine O'Hara from being in this movie I, was that her in that scene with all the gangsters that is that is her in that I scene as Texi like, Garcia yeah, I, I thought, okay. Good. Yeah, Taxi Garcia, that's her. They didn't give her um, anything to do, though. Like, she literally, she didn't even have a line. They could have let her do something. No, no dialogue. It's the only scene she's in. She was probably on set for one day or for however long that scene took to shoot. Right. There's a lot of people in that scene. That's like fucking money shot for all the cameos in this yeah. film. And then it's over before you know it. Right. Um, I like the kid. Like, going back to the kid, though. Uh, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, sure. His name? Let's talk Cor- about him. No. Charlie Corsmo. Corsmo. I like. I liked him in this. I think he did a really good job. Yeah, I mean, I like... can be tricky, you know? They, 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 they can they be. They off bad, but I thought he was good. They can be. They can be. But he's got a natural feel to him. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been a fan of his as a kid. I liked him in uh, Hook. Yeah. I liked him. I also liked him in What About Bob? Um, but, you know, he he knows what he's doing, and he does a good job at it. Uh, I I think this is his first movie. If it wasn't his first film, it's one of his first films. He's so young. Yeah. He's he's so little, dude, compared to, like, Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot he was in that. <laughs> that was, like, his last movie before he went to college and then kind of, like, left Hollywood, right. I think. I'm actually pulling him up right now. Um, now, he was in a film called Men Don't Leave with Jessica Lange. And Joan Cusack. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I remember that. It came out in 1990, but he filmed that one first. He filmed that in 88. 
so that's why he didn't get the introduction credit for this film mm-hmm. but um i mean hey he was nominated for a saturn award for best performance by a young actor no oh, nice good for him yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah dude another another one of those situations where you look at the filmography and like one two three four five six six no seven set eight if you can if you um we're gonna say seven seven performances that's all he's ever had huh he, he's another one i thought had like 20 roles under his belt i figured he was just still around and like one in ncis show that i don't watch that's why no i, I knew he got out of co- college i knew he got out of hollywood and didn't do films or anything like that anymore after because i remember king harley wait was his last performance because like i said he was of that age and i remember like him talking about or someone explaining that you know he kind of like quietly retired from films so he could just actually focus on a, a real life that didn't involve making movies yeah good for i him. guess yeah exactly so um Go back to my notes here. So yeah, Lips is forced to sign the club over to Big Boy before taking a bath. Not the bath. Not the bath. Please. <laughs> Big Boy, my friend. Big Boy, not the bath. Not the bath, my friend. I know, and I'm going to miss you. But all's fair in love and business. Benjamin Franklin. Big Boy. Big You. Me? How do you want it? Want it? Around me. If a woman don't wear mink, she don't wear nothing. Well, I look good both ways. Bumbles! Wipe it off. (laughs) Put the word out! Lips territory is my territory now! Breathless, he's Madonna's character, associates herself with Big Boy now as well. So let's talk about she Big have Boy. A choice. She, she doesn't associate herself. He pretty much takes oh, her. Pretty much, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Dude, Al Pacino. I don't think anyone else but Pacino could play this character. Like just the way he is. I mean, I yes, I get it. It's it, it, a lot of that has to do with Pacino just being Pacino. But I mean, I I just think Big Boy is like. You know, it's the main villain to Dick Tracy. So, I mean, I mean, hey, first off, first and foremost, what a catch getting Pacino to do this. Because um, he initially declined. And I guess there was a change somewhere in the middle. And I don't know. Because originally, he wanted to be credited as Guido, Guido Frascati. <laughs> there's a top souvenir magazine that actually has the credit that he wanted originally and that's how they found that <laughs> guido frescati was what he wanted to go under for this film um he actually went as far as to designing big boys makeup himself he wanted to completely reimagine the character uh who was originally big and fat in the comics with a little nose caprice's resulting film counterpart is a height average height with enlarged hands nose and cheekbones Hence his street name. Makeup designer John Pagliani Jr.'s final design of Big Boy Caprice matches the intended design conceived by Al Pacino. Since then, Cagliani has become Pacino's personal makeup man in all of his films. They often had trouble keeping the Big Boy Caprice makeup on Al Pacino, 
Coglione told uh, Entertainment Weekly that their biggest scare came when D- Drexler, one of the other makeup guys, discovered Al Pacino in full makeup eating a big bowl of spaghetti that could have potentially disfigured the makeup. After that incident, several pro- production assistants were designed were designated as MPs or makeup police to follow the actors around and to keep them out of pasta when in full makeup. Um, because you know. Everyone in this move in this film is in like full makeup prosthetic. So like you know, you imagine you know you, you you get to work, you get the set in the morning, you report to the trail the makeup trailer, and everyone's just one set the rest of the day in the ridiculous over the top makeup. It's like stay away from the pasta. So Tracy brings kid back to the diner and feeds him, but as soon as he mentions the evil word orphanage. It sets off Kid, like a Vietnam flashback, who visibly and vocally expresses his sustain for the uh, the little kid joint, as he put it, puts it. We see Tracy get called to the scene of Lips murder, so he asks Tess to watch him and take him home. Again, gotta mention Glenn Headley because her interactions with Charlie Cosmo are perfect, especially her. She like the scene here after Charlie after uh, Dick Tracy leaves, and it's just her and him in the diner. She calls him out for trying to steal from her without even seeing it. Like, and then she gives him this look that she shoots him after they both share their common disdain for dames. And she kind of like winks at him and smirks. I don't know. It's little things like that that I like. Um, and at the scene, Tracy finds walnuts and requests Big Boy's close associates, Itchy and Flattop, to be brought in for questioning about Lip's whereabouts. And... This is when I start to notice the green and magenta. It's like watching After Hours and, and the movie Vamp all over again. Just, I'm a big, like, I, we talked about this in Vamp last month. I'm a big fan of it to each their own. Um, I think Kev from the podcast of Wit and Die called it lazy filmmaking or something along them lines. But no, I like it. I think it's different. It's, it's a unique thing. Um, especially the fact that this is, again, a comic strip film. So I also noticed that he only, I mean, Brady pretty much only uses like the seven main color palettes for this movie. It's all primary, like the costumes, the lighting, it's all just primary. Like this is unabashedly meant to look like a comic strip. Like, yeah. Well, I know like a lot of people don't like Ang Lee's Hawk, but one of the things that people seem to like about it is there are times where Ang Lee tries to replicate the look of a comic book like actual individual little panels like i don't that's a little like too on the nose for me like the way warren Beatty does it here just with are you uh are you referring to like the fact that ang lee's hulk kind of resembles the director's cut of the warriors yes right right and I like Ang Lee. I mean, it Hulk. does. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of Ang Lee's Hulk movie. The, that director's cut of the Warriors, I can't stand. I hate what they did to that movie. Uh, okay, so uh, I haven't seen Hulk since the theater. Um, I was not a fan of it 20 years ago, but I, you know, I'm a firm believer of giving movies second chances. That said, I have yet to give this film a second chance, and I probably should because something tells me I'll probably like it after a second watch. Yeah, it's not um, it's not great, but it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's a decent, right, movie. right. 
I mean, I think I went to that film 20 years ago, ready to hate it because I was just not a fan of like the, the giant Hulk. I remember like laughing at the trailers for it because yeah. like you see him like jumping across canyons and then like diving up or jumping up in helicopters and throwing them. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? But you're right. I probably should watch it again and I probably will like it. Because I thought the same thing. I saw those commercials and I'm like, that looks like that's laughable. I was like, it looks like way over the top. Right. You know, and and like, uh, but then in the context of the movie, it works like it. it, it, Yeah, it, it does look good, you know, in the flow of things. Yeah, god damn it, I'll go watch her soon. Um But that but what I was saying, like the the, the literal like panels are what mm-hmm. give it the comic book feel and like Baby doesn't have to do anything like that here. Like he makes it feel like a comic strip by like just using the, the primary colors mm-hmm. and you know, just some of the action is absurd, that like the makeup and the characters are absurd. So you feel like you're watching a live action comic strip, you know, he, he did a really good job yes. uh, of replicating 100%. 100%. Yes. Um, real quick, I, I gotta go back to Warriors. Why aren't you a fan of the director's cut? Oh, I just I hate those comic book transitions, I think it's terrible. Okay, that, that that's it because you're not alone. I, I don't, I don't think okay. First thing, I've never seen the film theatrically, I've only seen the director's cut because when Sean introduced it to me about 10 years ago or so it was that was all oh it was long it was about 15 years ago uh that was all that was available in DVD was that director's cut and when to this day I think I think still to this day it's the only way you can watch it at least here in the in in the states um so that's all I've watched is the director's cut that's all I'm familiar with or the comic strips and everyone that I've heard from or talked to is the same way. I don't think I've ever talked to a single person that has said, yeah, I like the director's cut over the theatrical. It's always the other way around. And usually it's it's people destroying the director's cut. Like they have some sort of fucking hatred for that movie. Like it did something to its mother. And I, I don't, I, I mean... I don't know. I'm just kind of confused, and I'm, just, I'm curious as to what it is so about that that people, you know, you included, just hate so much about it. Because hate's a strong word, my friend. But I, I, I hate it. I've been watching that movie up to that, and I didn't even see the the the, the, the um, director's cut until about a year ago. Like I, I must see either. Oh, like I know I had to have heard about this at some point, and just didn't remember. But like it came on like TMC or, or like one of the Showtime 3 or some shit like that like a year ago and I'm like uh-huh. oh shit a director's cut of the Warriors I need to check this out so I watched it and I was like what the fuck are these transitions I'm like am I misremembering this movie and this shit was always in here and like I went online and looked and, and they it said that I was like I, I knew I couldn't have just dreamt that this wasn't always in the movie it was just I don't know if you if you had been watching it for all those years without that shit and then you suddenly see it. And then it just gets it's, added. It's I jarring. get you. It's very jarring. Right. All right. Because it makes sense. I mean, because the film itself plays out like a comic book anyway. Sort of. Yeah, if I had never but, seen it that way, and that was the first way I watched it, was the director's cut, maybe it wouldn't bother me. Who knows? Right. And I think that's what it is. Because, again, I that's the only way I have seen it. So, um... 
And I know people are listening right now going, holy shit, I feel so bad for this guy. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, so yeah, the, the, where are we at here? Okay. So he's not getting anywhere with flat top or itchy. So he brings in mumbles. Oh uh, God. And we <laughs> talked about the Kathy Bates cameo. That's the, what this scene is. So this moment, oh my God. So he brings in Dustin Hoffman, who he's only in two scenes. I thought he was in a lot more prior to this rewatch, but no, I digress. Just two scenes. This moment here, especially mumbles when he starts going, baby go, baby go. <laughs> Where's Lips Manless? Hmm? Where's Lips Manless? Baby Lips. Okay, you heard him, Mrs. Green. That's his testimony. Okay, boys, get him out of here. Is what? <laughs> Dude, I'm fucking in tears yesterday watching this movie. I'm like, what the fuck? Baby, go up. Baby, go up. So according to his autobiography, Gilbert Gottfried was nearly cast in the role of Mumbles based on his, his voice. So, you know. He was perplexed that he and Dustin Hoffman would be considered for the same role, joking that, quote unquote, the only way our names would ever appear together in the same Hollywood conversation would be in the sentence, I've seen Gilbert Gottfried's acting and he's no Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Hoffman himself wore a bald cap and wig, rubber eyelids, rubber lips, and a rubber chin to play mumbles. When Hoffman was in the makeup chair having his makeup applied, he used to he used that time to practice his lines for his role as Shylock in the London and Broadway product productions of The Merchant of Venice. Makeup artist John Coglione um, commented about Hoffman in an interview to Entertainment Weekly, said that he had a real drama class. He had a real drama class. He was righteous. Um, so then we got Breathless performing and practicing at the club with Big Boy. This has to be one of my favorite scenes in the movie because he's just yelling and barking at these women and going nuts. And it's so hilarious. He's just so over the top, yelling at her, the other performers, slapping her around, yelling nonstop. Dude, this is trademark Al Pacino. And he's like Getting dancing and singing the song, like trying to show them how ma, to do ma, it. Ma, <laughs> ma, ma. Check it out. Turn this dump into the birthplace of a new era in entertainment. You're telling me it's 2 a.m. Ah! Wait a piano! That was a silly thing to do. He's the best piano player in town. Shut up! Regardless of how you may personally feel about it, it's a shtick that never gets old to me. Madonna's just standing there trying to look pissed, but I promise you that it took her countless takes to get this scene out without <laughs> breaking character. Hey, even in the final cut, He's doing his thing right in her face while she's kind of standing there with her arms on her hips. It's a sight that cracks me all up. 
<laughs> I just I wrote Pacino should have done more comedy. Like I don't understand. Dude, I know he was dude, dude, very oh. funny in this. And the like thing every time everything like, they're singing, he's just going yeah. Right. Whatever they're singing, he's right. just trying like just fucking saying it in his performance, his, his Pacino way. <laughs> and I then out of nowhere, like you were gonna say, I was gonna say like. So everybody knows, of course, that the, the like the two different Al Pacinos, like the early '70s and '80s Al Pacino, and then like it seems like everybody thinks the line of demarcation is "Scent of a Woman," though. Like after "Hoo like that that's the Al Pacino uh. we've been getting for the past thirty years. But it's really, I think, Big Boy Caprice. I think is maybe the first yeah. time that he does it. Like I, this I, I, scene oh, in particular, it, it, it's very much the Pacino that we've come accustomed to. He is just on. Everyone's on like nines and tens, and he's on fifteen right now. <laughs> and then, on top of everything, he slammed randomly slams the piano case down on eighty-eight hands or eighty-eight keys hands, and then just randomly yells, "Shut up!" at Madonna. <laughs> oh man, Pacino stated that Madonna flashed him during rehearsals for this movie apparently <laughs> opening her coat to reveal that she was naked underneath and Pacino joked that when he is old if he is observed with a uh, a, a beat fix what the hell does he say a beat fix smile oh beatific yeah face, beatific smile on his face it will be because he is recalling this incident I kind of I kind of believe it because this is around the same time she did Truth or Dare and yeah. she's pretty uh prerogative in that movie or whatever you want to call it. Um, the backup dancers and singers supporting Breathless Mahoney were all skilled Broadway performers who were taught how to intentionally sing poorly for comedic effect. Tracy goes to see Big Boy at the club. He introduces Breathless to him and then reveals he bought the club from Lips. Big Boy then admits to he's like, I bet you love Walmarts. I do. I love Walmarts. They're the best. And he gets arrested for being sloppy, quote unquote. Uh, Tracy goes to see Breathless privately, and holy shit, this is the scene I'm talking about. That's black see-through gown that she's wearing. Like, this is the reason why this was a Touchstone movie and not a Disney movie. Is this fucking scene right here? So, how do we feel about Madonna's sort of tribute to the golden age of cinema, femme fatale performance she's given in this movie? I mean, I don't think Madonna's a very good actress, and she, I, maybe she's gotten bad. I never saw Evita. So I don't know, but I don't think she's, I think she gives the worst performance clearly of anybody in the movie. Um, and it, I didn't, you know, it's not like, oh, fuck Madonna. Like I want her to be good in it, but I just, I don't know. I don't think she's very good. And the thing is like, I, I know you said that like they, like the executives deem this movie too sexy. And like, I saw other people saying, man, this is like the horniest comic book movie ever. Like. I have the exact it's not the horniest. I, I think it's like one of the most sexless movies I've ever seen in my life. And I, I think that, again, I think that's intentional. Other than Madonna's costumes, I don't think there's anything like sexy or sexual at all about the movie. It's completely drained of all that shit. So it's it was very surprising to me to hear people make that argument of like how horny this movie was. And then even you said at the beginning, like Disney's like, well, we can't put that out. Like there's... Dick, again, Dick Tracy is a very square character, and all the times that Madonna throws herself at him, he more—he pretty much rejects her flat out. Like the scene where she crawls on the desk in front of her, 
I think he's looking at her more like, what are you doing? Rather than like, there's this hot woman on my table. Um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like the scene where, where they kiss, I think it's more him trying to give her what she wants at that moment to get her to testify. Um, I just think the two of them, and it's, it's funny because they were dating at the time. They have a complete yeah. lack of chemistry. Like the, the scenes of the two of them together, I think, are maybe the, the worst scenes in the movie because they just don't, they don't like have any kind of spark whatsoever. And, and part of that, I think, is because of Madonna's performance. Um, spoiler alert, Madonna's my MVP for this movie. Um, I mean, no, if you like her, that's fine. I, I think no, no, I, no. I, I, I'm actually, I, this makes for some great conversation, to be honest with you. So I, I, I don't mind it at all. I think both her performance and her songs, her singing, are, all, are very amateurish in this movie. Well, we'll get to the songs, yeah. but uh, I'm talking about her performance in this movie. And yeah. I think just kind of the way I just described it is how I feel about her. And I, I, I personally dig it. I think she nails it. I think, like I said, she's got that, you know, that 30s, 40s golden age of cinema. Like I said, that femme fatale, like, like tribute performance that she's given here. Like, I, I think she nails it. I think it's, it's kind of that less is more. I know she's not really doing much and half the time she looks like she's bored, but that's <laughs> kind of the point. That's like, that's how they looked and acted back then. And, and all the forties and fifties and thirties and all that, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm having a really fucking hard time pulling a random, you know, old actress out of my, like my a Marlene, ass. Marlene Dietrich sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I think she is, playing it right you know and this scene you know it, i mean we pretty much see her topless i think you know it's pretty pretty goddamn see-through in my opinion but um i don't know i just think it all works it's it's like you know it's it's like all the uh all the right ingredients for your perfect crock pot you know put them all together and just let it simmer for a little while and that's kind of how i feel about madonna in this film but um, Her anyway, performance aside, do you ever feel that in any of the scenes? And again, I, I there's a part of me that thinks that, that it's intentional. I don't think it's like bad acting on anybody's part. That Tracy doesn't feel anything back from her, or do you think that he does actually kind of secretly pine away for her? I think he does, okay. but I think it's Tess that's right there in the middle. That's like the wedge. Is Tess? Is he like he loves Tess? You know, yeah, that's he, the way I used to think about the movie. And then watching it today, I'm like, and even Tess, like, I mean, her name's Tess Trueheart, which is kind of like yes. corny, corny in and of itself. But like, she's like, a, well, she works in a greenhouse. Like she could have just as easily been a librarian. Like she's such a white bread, like 1930s ideal of uh -huh. what your wife should have been like. And like. And I think that, it, and Glenn. But they like, gave her character, especially at the end. Like she doesn't like. She got just, just. She eventually gets tired of you know, Tracy's stick and his bullshit. Right. And, oh yeah. You no, know. But what I was gonna say is like, and Glenn Headley, like great actress, and she was a pretty lady. I'm not taking away yeah. anything from her by saying this, but she wasn't like like a sex appeal kind of woman. You know what I mean? No, she was no, a cute lady. No. And again, I think that's intentional. Like 
Dick Tracy is such a sexless character that like they they can't even talk about moving in together. Like they kind of talk around it. And like if they did move in together, you know they'd be sleeping in separate beds. Like it wouldn't be one bed that they shared. Like <laughs> oh my god, you're right. It's like that's but I think that's all on purpose. And I think that's why like oh. watching it today, I was like, I don't think he really has and I think he's such a square that he really just only has eyes for Tess because that's just his his character. It's a character trait. He doesn't have a wandering eye, he doesn't have any of those kind of thoughts. No. I really don't think that he feels anything for Breathless throughout the movie, other than he sometimes gives her a bone because he wants her to testify. Like, that's his only goal in his interactions with her. I mean, there's a scene where, you know, Tess kind of comes home with while, while Breathless is there, and he's speechless. Like, the right, way he acts. Right, because they kiss. But, she, but Madonna instigates... Breathless instigates the kiss and then this is the only close to dark moment that Dick Tracy has in the whole movie is they kiss and he raises his hands like he's going to embrace her like give her a hug and kiss her back but then he stops himself again I think it's because he doesn't really feel anything for her. He, he had an initial reaction to a woman kissing him and then like his Dick Tracy brain kicked in and he like he froze up, you know what I mean? And then Tess he heard Tess down the hall, and that's why he was all flustered and stammering and all that. Yeah, that that's that's the, another one of the scenes. And then well, we'll get to it. I'm we're jumping all ahead at this point, but that, no, that's just, okay. Just to keep cut like it's a point I wanted to bring up so we can come back to in each of these scenes where I, I really I don't think the lack of chemistry between the two of them might even have been intentional because I don't think he really has those kind of feelings for her. Fair enough. I mean, th this next scene pretty much ties into the overall conversation. We got Tracy coming home at 630 in the morning. Tess has to run to her job. She's there sleeping, you know, watching the kid. The kid's in bed. Well, he's in bed, Tracy's bed and she runs out. And, you know, it, it kind of ties into, like, her doing all this and not asking questions. And, like, even when she goes to leave, he stops her just to say, he tests, you're one of the million. You know that, right? Like, he always tells her stuff like that, like, to remind her of, you know, just how great she is. Um, they can't say I love you because they're not in that point of their relationship. But that's just yeah, I mean, even to her without saying. I mean, even later on, when he goes to propose to her, he can't even do that right. Right. You know? <laughs> That's I mean, what I mean. Shit. That's why the idea that people think this is a horny comic book movie. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? No. It's, it's the most unhorny movie, period. Yeah. This is like sex ed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's hornier than this is. Yeah, exactly. The big boy gets out of the, he gets out uh, the following day, blames Dick Tracy solely for his arrest instead of the police force as a whole. Uh, the reporters that we see here that are asking questions as he's leaving the courthouse. We got Charles Flesher, who's Roger Rabbit. Uh, Al Garfield, who's Chief Lutz in Beverly Hills Cop 2. And John Shuck, who plays Sheriff Tepper in uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, which also has Charles Flesher. As the uh, reporters, like I said, who follow Question Big Boy as he's leaving downtown. Uh, Tracy being reprimanded by Dick Van Dyke as district attorney John Fletcher, who also happens to be running for mayor, 
for um, he's being ridiculed for being a bit of a loose cannon after unsuccessfully trying to prosecute Big Boy again. Meanwhile, Tracy keeps getting calls on his watch about Tess having a hard time with Kid because he refuses to put on a suit. Think he's got to go back to the orphanage. Uh, then we get our first of many montages. This is, this is our, uh, I actually titled these montages. This is the <laughs> When Do We Eat montage. I mean, we've been doing this show for going on two years now. And during that time, we have discussed a lot of various montages. This is the first montage about a kid who wants to eat nonstop. I mean, my boy's channeling is an inner Nikocado avocado with this montage. You'd at least think he'd be a little chunky, but they got the skinniest fucking kid in Hollywood to play the homeless kid with a bottomless pit. And, and it's all the same eat. day, isn't it? Because don't at the end of the scene, doesn't Tess look at Dick, Dick Tracy and go, yes. it was a fun Let's day. Like, it yeah. was like that scene in the naked and then he right? And then he wakes up in the back seat. <laughs> Let's see. Um... <laughs> Yeah, dude, watching him eat makes me sick to my stomach. He's literally shoving everything off the diner in menu into this fucking mouth of his. Like, it's just a slop house in that mouth. So we get Tracy pussyfooting around trying to ask Tess to move in with him when Kid yells out as a drive-by occurs. And we get the drive-by. And then, yeah, the drive-by happens. And the rest of the scene plays out with this awkward sense of charm with the music playing something classical as kids yelling to go after the bad guys Tess is like oh Tracy never mind the fact that all of us were nearly shot to shit about 15 seconds ago boys will be boys on the mean streets right <laughs> a couple uniformed cops check in on Tracy and one of them is Cole Meany from our previous episode Con Air um Breathless goes to see Tracy after being called in She's all seductive until he drops the bracelet that was forced at the warehouse where her lips was dropped. Or not found, not forced, found. It was found at the warehouse. That's the earring, um, the second earring. Because when he first meets her, they, they do a shot. Is it an earring? I thought yeah, it was a bracelet. They, they My bad. They on her earring, so you know they're setting something up with that. And this is where it pays off. He okay. drops it in her drink. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense then. Yeah, because uh, he drops it into her champagne glass and asks if she's ready to testify. And she responds with a slow going no. Then tells him to throw throw her in jail if he wants if he wants. Um Yeah, Tracy follows her instead. And she knows this. Smiling at the sight of him from the mirror. Uh so yeah, breathless. Uh Kim Basinger, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sharon Stone. All nineteen ninety staples who are not doing much of anything, well, Michelle Pfeiffer is, they were considered for the role of Breathless Mahoney. Um, I mean, Kim Basinger just... Kim Basinger, Batman, right. That wouldn't have made sense. I think Sharon Stone would have been good, actually, a good Breathless. I disagree. Michelle Pfeiffer for the win. I love Michelle Pfeiffer, but not. I don't know about for this role. I think she would have done a good job. I'm this sure is she like, would have. She, she's this awesome. is that in-between period of... Uh, you know, she's in-between... Uh, married from the mob, or married to the mob, and uh, Batman Returns. Yeah, it was, just bad, was Fabulous on? Baker Boys was in this. Period. Fabulous Baker Boys. I was just also thinking about too. That was around. That was the same year as this. Or was yeah. that eighty nine? No, I think it was ninety. Okay. I think I could be wrong, but I think it was ninety. Oh, same difference. <laughs> we'll just chalk it up to that. Big Boys' next move is to uh, try and bring other criminals in. Including Spud, Pruneface, Influence, Taxi Garcia, Ribs Mocha, and Numbers, together under his leadership. 
Uh, Spud refuses and he goes outside and gets killed by a car bomb. So this is all going on when Dick Tracy's like trying to like listen in from the ledge outside the window, other side of the window. He's like climbing up outside. Like his partners are like, he's gonna get himself killed. So the, the car bomb goes off and like he's got no choice but to like jump off onto this like light rail and so he leaps off the side of the building onto this lamppost and he smashes his face into the pole. <laughs> yes, I knew which is, that too. So, yeah, that was which is Warren yeah. <laughs> Beatty was asked about this year uh, years later and if it felt if he felt bad for the stunt person seen on screen injuring himself and his response was that was me. <laughs> so um yeah this is our grand cameo scene this is like the money shot of all the cameos all the big actors james khan Catherine o'hara just to name a couple and this is also our first appearance of the blank so this turns into a whodunit or who like, like a mystery all of a sudden who is the blank um during this scene or no there's a meeting uh 88 Keys is singing, is playing his piano at the club while Breathless is listening nearby. Dick Tracy tries getting Kid to brush his teeth with baking soda. Was this an old method your grandparents used to try getting you to do or something? Like, I got a, yeah, feel, I, I I got a gut feeling it is, but I'm like, baking soda? I mean, I've never been asked to brush my teeth with baking soda personally. I didn't even realize Not it was cool. baking soda. I was like, that, did they used to use brushing powder? And I don't remember that. Like, I don't remember that being a thing. I know it's baking soda because he he makes a comment. He says, "Kid, it's baking soda. It's okay, it's something." He, he says something to that effect. Um. Yeah, I just have one here. Big fat LOL. Itchy and flat top knock on the door. Obviously, pretending to be the orphanage, and. Yeah, kid, it's like the most obvious ruse in the world. They're like, we're here from the orphanage. And then they start like <laughs> reprimanding him. He's like, you know, you really shouldn't keep kids for yourself, sir. Um, yeah, he ends up getting kidnapped and taken away. Meanwhile, kid just dips the fuck out. He hears orphanage and he couldn't pack up his bag and jump out that window fast enough. Like he is on the run. Um, The run to the other side of the building because all of a sudden he's like, appears and just conveniently jumps onto the back of the car as they're driving away and no one can fucking notice this kid hanging from the back of the car the whole time and he does this quite a bit in this movie this all this becomes like kids calling card like riding along with the back of cars and shit and throughout the whole movie um yeah number one dick tracy is the most gullible detective i've ever seen in my life like <laughs> He'd be the that one to easily movie. fall for Axel Foley's banana in the tailpipe routine. <laughs> like, seriously. And number two, how the hell did Itchy and Flattop not notice or even catch Kid riding on the back of that car? Like, I, I keep on asking that question. And it's well, like, that I chalk up the, like, comic strip logic. Like, that's something that would probably, they might have taken that directly from one of the old comic strips. Probably. It's just, that's, right. that's a sort of, like movie's got a movie thing that i don't even god damn you i was about to say that i was gonna say movie's gonna movie yeah i I don't even give that a second thought but yeah the fact that tracy's such a dumb dick is hilarious he is (laughs) uh so they take him to the basement of tess's apartment building where big boy tries to bribe dick tracy with 15 grand fucking kids outside the window observing looking disappointed thinking that tracy's gonna take the bribe then tracy throws the money and he's like 
yes um so they set the place to explode in 30 seconds 30 seconds no more dick 30 seconds no more dick 30 seconds no more dick but tracy comes our kid comes in and saves the day no matter what type of situation tracy gets himself into that trench coat of his is constantly fucking bright yellow without any signs of dirt or damage like that's one adorable coat i've got to say i gotta get me one of those and i was um, i'm surprised they went with the color yellow and i know this is a baby's thing this that's his trademark to you kidding me? no notoriously like symbolizes retreat you know what i mean like i'm surprised they didn't give him a different color other like give him a blue or something like that i wonder why they <laughs> went with yellow maybe tracy in his blue coat right you know, I guess yellow just popped more, no. maybe. I don't know, but like, you know, psychologically, it's it's not uh, a strong color. <laughs> the coat was blue. No, yellow. Ah! <laughs> Get that reference? No. Anyway, um, <laughs> no. So, yeah, they give kid this honorary title or certificate for saving the day. Well, no, it's temporary until he gets his, he gets a name. Gotta have a name, kid. It's a big boy. He's seen uh, screaming at someone at the graveyard at night. And then it's revealed to be Dick Van D.A. So this centerpiece shot of the moon is damn gorgeous. Yeah, it's a good shot. I love it. And then, yeah, he's yelling at this guy about him being under his payroll. And like I said, it's revealed to be Dick Van D.A. Who then turns in, he turns and tells Tracy that 14 witnesses say Big Boy spent his whole morning having dance lessons. Uh, yeah, Tracy's at home waiting for Tess and Kid to return with ice cream when Beth Breathless shows up at Tracy's apartment for protection. Once again, in an attempt to seduce him, Tracy allows her to kiss him. Tess, that Tess, Tess witnesses this and then eventually dips out and bounces and throws up them deuces because she's done being walked on and lied to all while Tracy's trying his damnedest to play it off like there's she's there for work like Tracy is a terrible fucking person at playing he's just he can't play dumb at all like come on man the blank calls 88 keys and gives him five ten grand to make sure that a deal is made between big boy and uh yeah, yeah, make a deal with Big Boy is what he says, offering 10% to assure Dick Tracy won't be a problem for him. But Big Boy immediately shoots that shit down for, without hesitation. He's like, you're a piano player. Who the fuck are you? Like, I'm not going to take... I'm, not, I'm I, Why should I listen to you? You play a piano. Go. Go play. If you kill Dick Tracy, you will be the prime suspect and the city will mobilize against you. But for 10% of your business, we guarantee Dick Tracy will not be a problem for you anymore. And you will not be suspected of anything. <laughs> what can you lose? They don't deliver, you don't pay. You're a piano player. What do you want to be? A radish? Don't bring me a deal from someone you never saw, you don't know how to get to. Get him out of here. Go ahead. Play the piano. Okay, what's this? I think I got this figured out. I mean, he's kind of right. <laughs> Imagine, like, the fucking club piano player shows up, like, I have an offer. It'll help you get rid of Dick Tracy for, for a low, low price of 10 grand. Uh, so Tracy called up. Uh, I'm sorry. Tracy leads a seemingly unsuccessful raid on Club Ritz, but it's actually a diversion. 
so that they can sneak up Michael J. Pollard to uh, secretly listen in or 24-7 surveillance up above the ceiling of this meeting, this meeting room where big boys' criminal activities are always at. I love the fact that all it takes is for a big boy to scream out loud and the entire club switches over from a casino to a nightclub. Like, boys! Everyone's flipping over shit. Just, it's funny. It's a funny gag. So Bug spills his coffee down. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I should back it up because... Yeah, no, it did. actually works for a while. Well, yeah, because we get the, we, you know... We need to bring back the podcast so we'll stay for the, mo- stay for the montage moniker for this episode <laughs> because... What follows next is a montage of, you know, it's the, uh, uh what is it? Uh, all, Tracy, Tra- yeah, Tra- Tracy's foiling all the big boy's plans thanks to Michael J. Pollard and his yellow curls. And then it all gets spoiled because Bug spills his coffee and it runs down the fucking light. Dude, the face of Pacino and his reaction <laughs> as to looking upward at the dripping coffee kills me. <laughs> Because he's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm thinking that right now. It is hilarious. It is so fucking hilarious. And then they fucking pull the big ruse. He's like, boys, me at the South Side Warehouse. Big, big payoff. Okay, Freddy. Get down to the South Side Warehouse. Big payoff. <laughs> and then, like, it's like the big mother load this, this, this call. It's an obvious ruse, but it's still funny as shit. And then Tess goes and leaves Tracy while he's enjoying his pie at the diner. And while she's leaving him, Bug tries to call him to alert him that the uh, South Side Warehouse is which where, where to go. Um, it's a lot. I mean, it's 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 around this moment of the movie that I'm noticing a lot more color red being featured. I'm not sure if that was an intentional move. It probably was, but just a lot more of the color red. Mm-hmm. Um. And then inside, Bug is given the bath treatment that Lips started to receive earlier. Mobs. Um, we get mobsters, prune face, and influence that are about to gun down Tracy after seeing his coat and hat sticking out. However, Tracy has switched with Bugs and emerges from the wet concrete. I'm not quite sure how foolproof this plan was at first because he can't even get his he can't even get his gun to shoot at first and then the only thing that fucking works is the fact that no it doesn't even work the the blank saves him if it weren't for the blank appearing and and shooting them both dead like he'd be as dead as Dillinger himself because he emerges from the wet concrete and he goes to shoot them but the gun won't go so he's kind of like fiddle with the gun it's like you didn't think any of this through, did you? There my was man? absolutely zero reason for him to get in the concrete when they went over <laughs> no. and, and shot up the the the, uh, the scarecrow Dick Tracy. He could have got the jump on him and just shot them at that point. So the fact that he decided that, like, for some reason, he needed to switch places with bugs just makes zero fucking sense. It's, just, it's hilarious. He's probably like getting dirty, man. I don't know. <laughs> I thought of that. I'm like, I wonder if Beatty was like, he felt bad for Sorvino and, and Pollard that they had to go. To. Yeah. He's like, I'll take one for the team. I'll get under there too. And like that, that's how that scene ended up in the movie because it doesn't make sense otherwise. You look, you look dirty lips. Yeah. You, look like you can use a bath. <laughs> I want to go back for a second though because we, we kind of sped by it. That, that, sure. mon- the, the, the sooner or later montage. I, I think this is the most interesting montage in the movie. And again, it, it, it ties back to my, 
my thought that bait that uh, Dick Tracy has zero feelings for Breathless Mahoney because the sooner or later song, right? Ostensibly about Madonna singing, about Breathless singing, about getting Dick Tracy. You know that that's what you're led to believe, and that that's what right. it seems like. But it leads into a montage of Tracy just busting up big boys operations. There's zero romance whatsoever over the course of this montage. In fact, it's negative romance because there's a couple shots of Tess like looking all forlorn because you can tell that she's thinking that it's over between her and Dick Tracy. And then at, right. one, at one point there's some dialogue and Dick Tracy's talking about big boy says, I'm going to get him. It's just a, it's just a question of when, which then shows up in the lyrics. So it's like breathless trying to, get Dick Tracy with this thought mirrors Dick Tracy thinking this yeah. is a big boy. So again, like he's going to get his guy regardless of how he has to do it. And I think that's the only time he, that he throws breathless a bone. It's for that reason, not out of any kind of uh, some sort of attraction that he has to her. Yeah, you're right. Um, I never thought about it that way. But you, yeah, you're yeah right. no, I watching it today, it. I, I, took you're a right. whole, I took a whole new dynamic Damn. from the movie watching it. Yeah, today. I can like, tell. You know, you just <laughs> it just seems like that's the logical thing for the movie to do is to have sort of a sexual tension between, you know, a love triangle between Tracy, uh, T uh, Tess, and, and Breathless. So I, that's just what I've always kind of assumed it to be. But watching yeah. it today, like I, I just looked at it differently, and it, it made it a little bit more interesting. Actually, looking at it that way. Huh. Um. Yeah. Of course, none of this goes over well with Big Boy. He responds by screaming at his men that he wants Tracy dead. And it's also one of my favorite lines that comes from this scene. He's like, "I'm looking for generals. What do I got? Foot soldiers." <laughs> so, eighty-eight keys aka piano player to big boy continues trying to get big boy to take this fucking blank deal that he's is imposed about and mandy Paddikin's like a persistent guy he's like with such an incredible voice as heard in the following duet that he has with breathless but um yeah i've always dug him in this movie dude didn't know it was him for the longest time because of that 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 the the balding head and the and the uh the, the clean shaved face it's it's I'm, I'm used to seeing that beard and mustache at least <laughs> on, my man, on my man um so tracy meets breathless at the moonlit pier and once again tries getting her to testify and all she wants from him is to admit that he thinks about her and that he wants her but but tell me now he still refuses saying in return that he'll end up hurting someone he doesn't want to hurt because he loves her naturally this isn't kind of the answer that she was looking for. So she stomps away and scoffs at the situation. And like you said, Madonna and, and Beatty were actually dating in real life. And when he proposed to her and she stalled on the question of marriage, he ended their romance and claimed that what he had given her was just a quote unquote friendship ring. That was in August of 1990 and they had been an item since April of 1989 uh we find out that tess is going to stay with her mother played by estelle parsons meanwhile mary um Warnov comes to pick up kid from the orphanage 
you know, this was Mary Warren. Uh, yeah, and at first I thought that she was Rock and Roll High School. At first I thought it was. I'm like, oh, was it Mary Warrenoff who was in the meeting with all the gangsters? The the woman who didn't say anything oh, ended up being Catherine uh, O'Hara. The Catherine O'Hara, yeah, right? And at the, in the moment, I was like, is that Catherine O'Hara? And then when I saw Mary Warrenoff, I was like, oh, okay, so that she is that character. But no, she's she's not. And just to go back for a second, so did you know? You said that Beatty tried to get Gene Hackman to be in this, and he refused. But Michael J. Pollard and Estelle Parsons were also with Beatty and Gene Hackman and Bonnie and Clyde. So it's like he's Clyde, putting the, yeah. old, the old gang back together. He must have hated Faye Dunaway because I don't think there's any talk of her <laughs> appearing in this movie at any well, point. Wait, if you think about it, there's a lot of reunions in this film yeah. because of the cast. I mean, you've got, you know, James Caan and Pacino, right. you've got the little godfather. You've got Charles Durning and Al Pacino, Dog Day Afternoon. You know, there's a bunch. You, you can do a lot of the fucking combinations with yeah. the cast this film has. Um, so, yeah, Mary Warrenov comes to pick up Kid from the orphanage, or for the orphanage, as Tracy goes to Tess's florist to see her, only to be drugged from the gas being pumped out of the flowers, and he's rendered unconscious by the blank. Tracy's then framed for murdering Dick Van Dier, with the blank running into a hotel wearing Tracy's hat and coat. Uh, shooting him dead once getting into the room. And then the real Tracy gets swapped out as 88 keys yells out loud enough that Tracy and acting like he's been shot and killed. It's a very convoluted sequence for a Dick Tracy adaptation. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> but I still enjoy watching it all unfold. I like, See, like the things that were pointing like the him getting in the cement the uh him falling for the voice at the beginning you know for the woman right. from the orphanage this whole thing it all feels like shit that would come from a 1930s you know car, uh, newspaper serial sort like mm-hmm. it, just dumb like not a lot of thought put into it just meant for kid brains you know what i mean it, it again which just i think Beatty didn't have to be literal in making it look like a comic strip he did he, there was enough little touches in it that just that's why you don't put too much thought into things like the kid riding right. in the back of the car and nobody noticing it just feels like it's from that era movie's gonna movie right, right. there's a lot of movies <laughs> got a movie in the 1930s right um dick van dyke uh apparently worked on this film for three whole days broke his shoulder when he was shooting the scene where he was murdered by the blank. That scene or that take was the one that was eventually used in the film. Not quite sure how he would break something, but it falls I, over I don't know. getting shot. I the guess. way he falls, maybe. Yeah. Those years he fell really that Ottoman. I don't think he ever broke his shoulder and uh, now he does it to Dick Tracy. Well, e- either way, exit stage left. Thank you for your contributions. Uh so the chief oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. The kid is spitting out the disgusting food at the orphanage. Once again, we got the color red front and center. Then we get back to another montage of business being back for Big Boy and his operations while Tracy's locked up for murder. Back in business. That song.
chief, Charles Durning, takes Kid to visit Dick Tracy in his cell, where it's revealed that he got his certificate after renaming himself Dick Tracy Jr. I have a slew of questions about this. How is the police chief able to take Kid out of the orphanage yeah, whenever he pleases? Like, can you do that? And more importantly, <laughs> we're just going to let homeless orphans spend time alone with convicted murderers in their jail cell <laughs> by the chief of police, no less? Like, what is going on here? Who's making the decision? They, they didn't have those kind of rules back then. <laughs> just fucking Friday every day of the week, right? <laughs> it's revealed that Tess has been captured by the blank. Um... What else? Tracy's released by his colleagues on New Year's Eve and gets taken to interrogate Mumbles again, where he plays DJ Trace and slows down the recording of the Mumbles of the previous statement Mumbles had that was apparently recorded in this hidden recorder that they had inside of this buried water cooler. Like he it slows it down this... the, the entirety of the movie, like they didn't right, 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 right. <laughs> He slows it down to say Big Boy did it. Big Boy did it. And Big Boy did it. <laughs> which causes him to laugh hysterically until he suddenly stops to speak up and says, 88 Keys set you up. Big Boy paid him to get you out of the way. It's just like, where did this come from? <laughs> so the next scene is Tracy and his men heading to Club Ritz with Tracy in the backseat. With this ridiculous giant bear water cooler in the fucking seat next to him. <laughs> spouting off some nonsense about the enemy is my enemy of my enemy <laughs> I don't know even his fucking friends are like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> so the blank calls big boy at the club and asks how long it's been since he's taken a look at the attic blank then calls the chief of police while Tracy this is where things get complicated in this movie so bear with us chief of police gets a call from blank while Tracy and his men head up on the roof where they find Tess tied up Big Boy and Flattop discover her and flip out that they've been framed. So they take off with Tess and lock Tracy in the room Tess was in. Big Boy orders his men to get ready for an escape while the cops surrounding the building oh, while the cops surround the building as they've been framed. They've all been framed collectively. So we've got to talk about fucking this this Dick Tracy this, this seesaw escape that's going on here. <laughs> He's like how much you weigh? Like, he just all of a sudden starts, like, doing physics in his head and, and, and punching numbers and shit. And all of a sudden, he's like, just jump. So like, what do you mean? Just jump. Make sure you hit this plank here. So, yeah, as he would have it, he jumps and he is able with enough velocity to make Dick Tracy jump up, like, 30 feet through a window. <laughs> like, if he's not concussed, he didn't make it. Um... All the mobsters load up their weapons and begin attempting an escape. It's like a suicide attempt. It's like one big suicide pact that they all form because they're all going out one by one and getting shot to shit. Like, all of them pretty much get shot down one by one. Like, I could literally smell the burnt gunpowder watching this scene. It's 60 seconds of straight gunfire, dude. Big boy... It, it, I mean, everyone dies in this scene. Even this is, this is when Flattop and Itchy also get shot down. Yeah, this, I don't, I don't love the way that this is handled. I feel like... It's I, lazy. Yeah. They all well, just say, yeah. we gotta do something. And their fucking grand plan is to just drive out to the cop, towards the cops one by one. Right. Like, 
there's no real escape plan or any thought. It's just one by one, guys, just get out there and get killed. Um, like I said, even big boys, two main like men, number one, number two and three, you got fucking itchy and 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 flat top, whatever. They're gone. So, big boys trying to escape with Tess and he's ranting to himself non-stop the entire time in typical Pacino fashion I fucking love it especially when he gets into the closet and he's like oh now what 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 you gotta be kidding me so Breathless tells Tracy where big boy escaped to and he es- and he begins chasing them to this drawbridge where he ends up tying Tess to the gears it's like, this is nothing personal um dude Pacino's non-stop verbiage is just it's just too much <laughs> It's just, he goes on and on about nothing. He's like, wait a minute. Wait, I'm having a thought. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm having a thought. It's coming. It's gone. Don't move. Not if you want to stay alive. A woman. A woman. A woman. I've been humiliated by a woman. The way I see it, and Plato agrees with me, is that there is what is and then there is what we would like it to be. Well, that's not important. What's important is the future. It's planning ahead. A man without a plan is not a man. Nietzsche, wait a minute. Wait. I'm having a thought. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm going to have a thought. It's coming. It's gone. <laughs> That's literally a line of dialogue in this movie from him. While he's while he's tying Tess up to the gear, he says that all that word for word. Um, because I had to stop and write the fucking words down. I was like, what the hell did he just say? Um, Tracy shows up and there's this subtle game of hide and seek happening around gears while Pacino continues to talk like he's reprising his role as Tony Montana. Uh, there's like this, I don't know. The blank shows up, holds both men at gunpoint offers to share the city with Tracy after Big Boy is dead. When Junior arrives, Big Boy takes advantage of the, situ- of the distraction excuse me, and opens fire before Tracy sends him falling to his death into the gears of the bridge while Junior rescues Tess. So the blank is revealed to be... Wrong roll, please. Breathless. Shocker. I love how she still talks like the blanket first before clearing her throat <laughs> to get a kiss. It's like, like, this, ah, it's like um, Return of the Jedi. It's like even the same yes, voice effect. Same voice, yep. <laughs> and then he like, just dies all tragically and shit. I just have here in my personal notes, Hollywood, what you gonna do? But yeah, man, the obvious screen, I mean, the obvious green screens are obvious towards the end of this film. Tracy and Tess are reunited as fireworks go off and then we cut back to the only place these people eat, the diner where Tracy goes to propose to Tess where he gets this stupid call and his stupid watch and of course he responds to it instead of finishing up his proposal this fucking guy actually leaves his ring with her and says she's one in a million before responding to a robbery call with a child but hey, <laughs> it's the 30s daycare and cheat he's officially um, a deputy now he's, he's that's right a, a piece of paper he's written in crayon yeah that's right hey that's the end of dick tracy from 1990 
Oh my god, a lot to talk about that we did. We got through a lot. I like that. <laughs> um, all right, box office receipts in the operational funds box. We will deposit two hundred and fifty thousand American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, Dick Tracy had its premiere on June tenth, nineteen ninety, at the Uptown Theater in Washington D.C. Before being released on June fifteenth, nineteen ninety, from Touchstone Pictures, it opened up across two thousand three hundred thirty-two screens. Opening weekend, first place, twenty-two point five million dollars. Pretty good for nineteen ninety. Second place dropped. The, I mean, second weekend dropped thirty-one percent to fifteen point five million. Still in first place. Total gross worldwide, one hundred sixty-two point seven million dollars. Oh. Against the budget of forty-six million. Now I remember, nineteen ninety. That's at the equivalent of like four hundred million today standards. Yeah, which is pretty good. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, um, I I, I want to say it was like the fourth highest gross film in nineteen ninety overall. It was yeah. definitely in the top ten. I was gonna say, what was its competition? Because that's that was a summer movie, so that was like a big movie for Touchstone. What was the other summer movies that year? I don't remember. Nine um, Days of Thunder um, was probably one of them. I'm guessing. What else would it? It be? was. Yeah. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, but yeah, like just to, while you're looking for that, to, yeah, the the goal in the '90s was to make. A hundred million dollars on a movie. That was the touchstone. That was like if you hit that, then that's a blockbuster. Like now, it, it doesn't seem like such a big number, but that that was the number back then. If you can make at least a hundred million, then then you're doing something right. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Wow. It wasn't in the top ten. Still, I mean, hundred sixty something million. Is still a pretty good yeah. deal for nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety dollars. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, given the IP, no one really knew what the right. hell Dick Tracy was and all. Uh, so yeah, we had uh, Die Hard two. Okay, right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out that year. Back to the Future, Back to the Future Part three. The, the the highest gross film of the year was Ghost, half half a billion. Yeah. Home Alone came out that holiday season. Pretty Woman came out in nineteen ninety. So the Dances with Wolves, Total Recall was a big deal in nineteen ninety. That was the fifth highest gross film. Total Recall grossed more more money than Die Hard two. Holy shit. Um, but yeah, those were all the big ones that came out in 1990. Um, I mean, but like we keep saying, you know, it, it nothing to be ashamed about. 162 million is still, you know, it's still pretty goddamn good. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of makes me wonder why there wasn't a sequel to this. You know, and you know, uh, sequels weren't as big of a thing back then as they were as they are nowadays they were now, becoming it's like, one at that point yeah but it, it just, box office didn't guarantee you a sequel the way it does today like today like a movie that was intended for just being a one and done product will gross you know a, a ridiculous amount of money that either it was or wasn't expected to and then the following weekend the studio is like sequel you know, you didn't really get that back then. They they took their time with doing sequels, but you're right. They were starting to get on that that train with like just if a if a movie made X amount of money, regardless of what their intentions were, they were gonna call a sequel the following weekend. Yeah, so. I mean you said it, Die Hard Two was a big movie that year. So Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's why they kept doing it. Yeah. So anyway, moving on to 
Crick's Corner. See what they all had to say about the film. got a Rotten Tomato score of 64% based off 55 reviews with a critical consensus that says Dick Tracy is stylish, unique, and an undeniable technical triumph, but it ultimately struggles to rise above its two-dimensional artificiality. Don't agree with that, but that's what the uh, consensus is. Meta score of 68 out of 100 based off of 24 reviews and a cinema score of B+. Ebes gave it a perfect four-star rating, arguing that Warren Beatty succeeded in creating the perfect tone of nostalgia for the film. Ebert mostly praised the the matte paintings, art direction, and prosthetic makeup design. Dick Tracy is one of the most original and visionary fantasies I've ever seen on screen, he wrote. I agree with you. Yeah, I do too. 100%. Um... And his colleague Siskel, Gene Siskel, was on the pretty much on on the same page as him. Gave it three stars, called it a visual delight and a dramatic letdown. Vincent Canby from the New York Times wrote: "Dick Tracy has just about everything required of an extravaganza: a smashing cast, some great Stephen Sondheim Sondheim songs, and." All the technical wizardry that money can buy with it, uh, with a screenplay that observes the fine lines separating true comedy from lesser camp. Owen Lieberman from Entertainment Weekly gave a mixed review, but was impressed by Madonna's performance. He said, Dick Tracy is an honest effort, but finally a bit of a folly. It could have used a little less color and a little more flesh and blood, he concluded. Um, a little less color. Yeah, I think the color was just right, my man. Just, that's <laughs> my take. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone wrote that Warren Beatty at 52 years old was too old for the part. I think that his age was just fine. He didn't look 52 back then. He also, you know, sort of with some hair dye and some some makeup work kind of made himself look like he was more around 40-ish than 52, you know. And back then, even today, any fifty-two, you can get away with you know being younger a little bit. So yeah, I didn't realize he was yeah. old miss at, at the time. I I knew he was only because I know how old he is today. So yeah. you know, and Warren Beatty's always been one of them guys where like he doesn't look that as old as he actually right. is. He's always done a good job of making himself look younger. But I mean, this guy was in Bonnie and Clyde over fifty years ago. Yeah, you know so. That should tell you alone right there how old he is or give you an idea. Uh, he also found similarities with 89's Batman, which both films have a loner hero, a grotesque villain, a blonde bombshell, a marketable pop soundtrack, and a no mercy merchandising campaign, Chavers concluded. But Batman possesses something else, a psychological depth that gives the audience a stake in the character's. Tracy sticks to its eye-poppingly brilliant surface, though the film is a visually knock is a visual knockout. It's emotionally improv- impoverished. So, uh, and finally, Max Allen Collins, who was then a Dick Tracy comic strip writer, 
conflicts with Disney concerning the novelization aside, he gave the finished film a positive review. He praised Beatty for hiring an elaborate design team and his decision to mimic the film's limited color palette. Collins also enjoyed Beatty's performance, both the prosthetic makeup and characterization of the rogues gallery, as well as Stephen Sondheim's music. However, he believed the filmmakers still sacrificed the storyline in favor of the visual design. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, for the most part, a mixed bag, but I felt more positive. The, the glowing, the positive reviews were glowing reviews. Um, you know, not too many people were tearing this film apart that you would expect as well. So that's good to read. All right. Well, then that we, uh, now that we know what they thought of the film, let's uh, talk a little bit more about our thoughts in the form of pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, pros. It's a visual masterpiece. You're not going to find too many films made to look like this one. The all-star cast is fun to watch, even if you can't make half the actors out due to their prosthetic makeup work. Pacino. One word, simple as that. That's another one that uh, I had to put. I had to put my pros. And finally, Madonna is excellent. Um, so yeah, what are your pros? Those are my main four pros to the film. What are yours? I mean, very similar. Um, just the 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 technical achievement that it is. It looks fantastic. Um, Pacino's performance is great. Um, I don't agree with you about Madonna. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I, I like the fact, like a lot of those reviews, it, I s- sort of see what they're saying, but don't necessarily agree in that there's not a lot of depth to it. Um, especially coming on the heels of Batman, but I, I think that's, I think that's all intentional. I think Beatty really just set out to make a comic strip movie and he didn't right. try to transcend that. Like he, he just did, literally made that. He didn't try to give it, give it any kind of like depth or subtext or any of that. He made a comic strip movie, a kid's movie or, or family movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I think that was yeah. his intention and I think he just completely succeeded. I, I, I like that this didn't try to like give Dick Tracy some, that's like, if you made Dick Tracy today, it would have to be dark and you know, he'd have to have some sort of backstory and like it's this movie stripped of all that. It just, it is whatever you're seeing at that second. Like, that's yeah. I mean, he set out to bring back Dick Tracy in the, 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 the best way, the most appropriate way possible. He took, you know, prior to this film, you know, all you really had besides some old 40s black and white shows or movies or whatever, you had the comic strip. And he wanted to bring back this character, sort of reintroduce him to the audience in the way that he was introduced to the character when he was younger. And that is the comic the comic strip. He, what I'm getting at, 
is, you know, he he made a he went he set out to make a movie that acts as a a visual comic strip, you know, essentially. Every scene plays out like you're turning the page to a different strip or or whatnot or or reading, you know, a different scene. It's it's brilliant, number one, but it's also it's 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 fitting, you know. He was just he set out to do something unique, man, and and it works. It it's something that how many other films from 1990 that that involve this kind of work are you going to see? Like you don't see Billy Bathgate, you know, <laughs> looking like looking like this or whatnot, you know. It, it, he was just he, you know, I don't I I don't know why I'm having a hard time struggling to figure out how I want to word this, but you know, it's it's just it's a one of a kind movie, dude. He made they a thirties comic strip movie using state of the art technology at the times, yeah, the art technology. And he didn't overdo it. Like he didn't make it look like you know, like a lot of it, it, I mean this it doesn't look tacky art. at it, all. Right. It doesn't look tacky at all. It, it it's you know a lot of old special effects like made today it would be it would be all cgi and it, there would be a remove there um but the remove here is fitting because it's just meant to take place in a comic strip story you know it's it yeah like i said he doesn't try to, to fit it into the real world whatsoever he stays true to the to the roots of it and i think it's better because of that yeah all right, well then, cons. Uh, cons, cons, cons. Some of the scenes feel more of the same. At times, leaving you to ask, didn't we just see this? Uh, I felt myself feeling that way a few times during this movie. It's like some of the scenes felt like either I had just seen it or it was, like I said here, more of the same. Uh, that and the ending feels rushed and sort of anticlimactic. Um, like, he just... He he invades Club Ritz, and all of a sudden, big boys, you know, taking tests and going to this this drawbridge, and it just abruptly ends. You know, like he gets there, and there's not a whole lot of conflict once you know they meet up finally, uh, meeting Big Boy and Dick Tracy to save Tess. Like before anything really happens, this character who we've only seen a few times throughout the movie makes another appearance only to help Tracy, you know, defeat the villain. I don't know. It. I just felt like there could have been more. Like, maybe that 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 scene, it just felt rushed. Like, maybe it was uh, not the original ending, but they had to kind of go back in one of the situations and, like, just film a different ending uh, for whoever's sake, whether it had been the studio or maybe some negative screen test. Who knows? There's always different reasons why they go back and refilm endings. And I'm not saying this this ending is a, like a reshoot, but it just kind of feels like the one, like the way it's just kind of half-assed. You know, it's it's it's. It, I'm sorry, it just doesn't click with me the way other scenes in this movie does, and that's like I've always felt that way. The ending just feels rushed, and it just happens, and it's over before you know it. You know, um, but yeah, those two are my only cons, though. How about you? Yeah, I don't have a problem with the ending, but I see what you're saying. Like, I, I, 
I, okay. I can see why you as long as I'm not talking out of my no, ass, no, that I makes can sense. See why you feel like I've never I'm not bothered by it, but w- the way you explained it, I'm like, yeah, I can see why you'd want more out of it than we actually. Do. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, but I like, and I don't know how much of this is. I want to give credit to Warren Beatty because I do think that he's not as bright as his reputation makes him out to be. But I mean, I have no way of knowing that. It's just me talking out of my ass. But um, I like the the think that he recognizes that. Dick Tracy throughout is kind of a shithead. Like he, we, you know, we've talked about it a few times. He falls for like the dumbest tricks in the book. His plans are always kind of stupid and half-assed. He's constantly getting saved in the movie by the uh, the blank face. <laughs> it's like he's kind of yeah, a shitty. Yeah. He's kind of a shitty hero in that way, and I don't know if that's intentional or it just works out that way. But I, I'd like to think it's intentional. But um, that that has a little bit. What's that? I said a little bit. Some yeah. of it is. I, that, that, but that's not my cons. My cons are, um, we talked about the, the when all of um, Big Boy's henchmen get killed in that, that scene where they just drive out one car at a time and get shot to bits. Like, that yeah, 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 yeah. Better. yeah but, I agree. Yeah, th- those characters deserved more fun scenes uh, of getting dispatched. Um, Especially flat top, he's like he pretty right. much acts as Big Boy's number two in this movie, right. and he just kind of gets just I don't know, just just kind of comes and goes, yeah. you know. And and that's my bigger uh, kind of the whole movie is I think that those henchmen, most of them, not all of them, but most of them could have used a little bit more been given a little bit more characterization right. primarily flat top and itchy right yeah it, like all the the henchmen could have gotten just a little like i'm curious to, to know what's on that two hour 15 minute cut you talked about earlier maybe it does oh yeah me guys too. a little bit more so um I, I would watch a two hour 15 minute version of this movie this especially oh, hell yeah we get more of that like flesh those characters out a little bit more i'd gladly watch that so that's my biggest mm-hmm. con. It, it all just deals with the henchmen, the way they're handled in the movie. Uh, let's do Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Uh, I've always had problems with the blind character because it's always felt forced because it leads to another arc for Madonna's Breathless that isn't needed. Like Her character is important enough to the story that it doesn't really need this additional twist or in the film's climax. That being said, I'd probably either erase this character altogether and let the film focus more on Tracy going after Big Boy Caprice or change the identity of the blank to like someone less obvious, like maybe Charles Durning's chief of police or someone, you know, but with a strong motive. Like, otherwise, this nonsense doesn't belong in this movie. Um, But yeah, if I had to change something, that would be that the whole handling of the the blank that's all yeah i i really didn't have one for this i was gonna say when you mentioned the the other casting of um breathless mahoney now i just keep picturing sharon stone in the role um, sharon stone right and i'm, and I'm not right. a sharon stone fan so it's not like oh yeah i love sharon stone so i would love to have seen her in this i'm not a big fan well, this, of hers but i think this would have been 1990 sharon stone this would have been coming off total of recall. total recall right yeah I think she could have done a good job with this character. So, 
I agree. could say Mulligan Moment would be casting her instead of Madonna, but I agree. The whole the blank character, I think, is the weak link of the movie. It's not really, but I mean, a lot of it's, shit in this it's... movie isn't very well thought out. So that even having said that, like, I, I don't, I don't dislike the blank character. If I'm going to be nitpicky and say there's something that needs to change, I would say it's that. But I'm fine with it the way it is. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right, finger licking good. Finger licking good. Uh, these scenes with just Beatty and Madonna, like I don't know, they they, I don't know if they were, I don't know if they're my favorite. I'd say my favorite scene overall, though. I mean, I do like the interactions with them, um, because they just do a good job with with their delivery. Uh, like it feels like I'm actually watching a true Hollywood classic film from like the thirties or forties when they're on screen together. Like here's a good thing. Uh, Beatty like reminds me of Humphrey Bogart in various scenes in this movie. You get that old, like I mentioned before, that classical era of film that, that gets brought out. Um, maybe not necessarily with just the scenes of him and Madonna. Um, but I don't know. Overall, if I had to pick, one scene and say like this is my favorite scene of the movie overall man it's it's tough like even sitting here talking about it like i i I really don't really have a particular favorite moment or scene really i mean i love that shit with big boy and 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 the uh the clubs yelling at the women like (laughs) not not yelling at them but like Oh, he is, but like the, the when they're like singing and he's singing or he's yelling over them, like mimicking their words and shit. Like that scene's just hilarious. Like I could watch that scene play out all day long. Um, even the scene when uh him and Pruneface discover the the bugs up above, like after he spills his coffee and like just like we were talking about before, that look that that big boy gives the way his expression, like oh, the, the, the way he's trying to like do it. They're they're talking like. It just slipping the words and not actually speaking because they're you know they're bugged right. and they're they're onto it. Like that seems just funny as shit. That that's a great moment. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Pacino got nominated for this movie. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, didn't win. The only no. it, it won for it won three awards and they were all for Technical. filmmaking. Yeah, technical exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, favorite scene. Jeez, you know, yeah, you got me. I guess I'm gonna have to go with just like I said, the the interactions between uh, uh, Breathless and, and and Dick Tracy. You know, even though it's more of the same after it happens so, so much, but it's like again, every time they're together, I'm reminded of just another time that we don't see. You know, in movie making, that's all. Yeah, that I'm I'm kind of stumped on my own category. So, what do you? How about you? What is your favorite scene? Yeah, this is it's tough with this movie because I like it start to finish. Like, there's this, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, that's another reason why it's hard. Yeah, but um, if I had to pick one, I would go with the the sooner or later montage. I love that montage. I love I love Dick Tracy. Like like there's one scene where it's like eight guys rush at him and he swings his arm and knocks them all out with the same punch. Like, I love that. Like those kind of shots, like anytime he 
he but it's just, it's the same shot with like just a different you know in, in a different location every time where he like right. bust into the room and you know one time it's like a chinese laundry another time it's like you know a f- they're all fronts for big boys operations and like the camera zooms in on him as he's just kind of like telling them they're under arrest like i, I don't know there's so many yeah. different little things going on in that montage that you know it, it's maybe or at least one of the more comic strippy moments of the movie where like he's punching people and they're flying up in the air kind of thing so yeah i, I love that whole sequence you know, if, yeah, if my favorite mon that's a good montage, by the way. And I like that song sooner or later, by the way, too. That song I, back in business, that montage, I'd have to <laughs> say is my favorite. That's a good montage. But you know what? I thought about it more while you were talking. My favorite scene in this movie is the scene with the can- all, all the, the gangsters at the, at the table with Big Boy, and he's yeah, trying to get them to like, that, that yeah because like you know you got james Khan turning them down and walking out like this 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 motherfucker and then like get the, he gets the car bomb um he gets the car bomb anyway no matter what answer he gives that that car bomb was planted so <laughs> that's that that's a good scene that's like one of my favorites i, I always anticipate seeing that scene because there's just so many people that they just kind of like took all the villains that they couldn't get for the rest of the movie and just crammed them in to one scene together. And that's kind of a smart way of doing it and trying to get big boy to like get everyone to work under him. So that'd be my favorite scene of the movie. All right, then um, let's move on to like this. Try that. Funny enough, my like this try that is going to be a film we'll be talking about next. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It's probably the closest thing you'll ever get to Dick Tracy as the two share similar noir stories by Disney. There's also The Shadow from 94. You could also argue 2009's Watchmen has familiar similarities to Dick Tracy. But the closest thing in in tone, and they both also share that that Disney you know, Bond, Roger Rabbit, probably. And we'll get more specific into that one. Like I said, that's the next episode I have planned that my brother Andrew is joining us for, possibly Jocelyn, but uh, definitely my brother, and I'm looking forward to it. So that's my answer, ironically enough, is who framed Roger Rabbit? Very curious, though, to hear what you picked. Um, I actually thought about Roger Rabbit. I was like, yeah, there, there's, I'm getting Roger Rabbit vibes off of this movie, definitely. So, yeah, I see that. But there were mm-hmm. two that I was most reminded of. Um, okay. One is The Untouchables. It's basically the same Ooh. story. Um, Didn't even think of that film. Shit. Yeah, like just stripped down to its basics. You know, it's, yeah. he's basically Elliot Ness and, and Big Boy's Al Capone. It's, it's the same kind of dynamic going on there. Um, and like Elliot Ness is just this white bread, clean cut character. Um, do have some dark shadings as the movie goes on and dick tracy has none of that he's just the clean cut white bread character from start to finish um so i thought of untouchables and then i also thought of uh robert rodriguez and frank miller's sin city i thought that the city that the the city that dick tracy is in is sin city is that same city like 50 60 years later like just gone to shit you know what i mean so 
Um, and just the, the over-exaggerated look of it, um, I, I think those two would make a good double feature. I agree. All right. And then got a couple categories left. Let's go ahead and pick our MVPs. All right. Now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Y'all know my MVP, Madonna. Um, yeah, I just think that Warren B took a big risk with her. Big risk, because this was like around her truth or dare image, which was pretty provocative at the time, and this being a family wholesome Disney film. Um, just not the kind of person you'd see playing this role, but it it is. It, it, I mean, it works. Um, you know, she's definitely one of my favorite uh, people in this whole entire movie, and I think that she's the biggest surprise out of all of the people that are in this. Um, I don't know what it is about her, but I think she's actually, you know, putting in a pretty solid performance rather than phoning one in. So yeah, all of those reasons, uh, Madonna is my MVP. I thought you were going to say Pacino. Um, and it's tempting to say Pacino. I, was, I, I think I was leaning towards that, that way at first. Hey man, you are entitled to say whoever the hell you want. If, yeah. if, if, you know, if you want to say James Tolkien or something, yeah. you, you can say whatever you want. He's go by the movie could use a little bit more of him. I always like him, but um, you could use more of him. Numbers. I always forget that he's even in this movie. Right. Um, he got I, like one line of dialogue where he says, "Boss, the cops are coming" or something like that. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna go with Beatty, and the reason being is, cool. you know, cool. I mean, he's obviously. The I'm glad one of us picked Beatty, producer. Yeah, yeah. I mean it. it and it might be an obvious pick, but again, as somebody who does not generally like Warren Beatty, I just love everything about him and this movie. And I don't know how much of it's intentional and how much of it I'm just reading into it, but I just, I really like his read of this character and yeah, how he yep. didn't, he didn't try to do anything grandiose with it. He, he, he kept it down to the basics and just took those and ran with them. And it's just it just looks great and it's such a fun movie to watch. It's perfect. Like I was I put it on this morning and I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, this thing's probably about two hours, like, you know, two plus hours long. And so I just need to like <laughs> settle down and get ready. And then by the time oh, yeah. I'm wrapping up, I'll like football be coming on. Like that's how long I'm gonna be watching it. It's like an hour and forty minutes. It's like a perfect time for this kind of movie. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Um yeah, it's just just really well done on his part. My favorite, other than Ishtar, my favorite anything Warren Beatty movie is definitely this. Yeah, I I, I agree, hundred um, percent. And like I said, I'm, I'm glad one of us uh, picked him. So before we wrap up, let's uh, give Dick Tracy the final effect treatment. On a scale of one, on a scale, on a scale, on a scale of one to ten, on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? I'm giving this four and a half stars. I've always really, really liked this movie, and I've defended it countless times growing up. But I, 
honestly loved Dick Tracy this time around even more than before. Like the noir element never goes anywhere. The basic color palette and constant usage of the color red really gives the movie that trademark comic strip look that Beatty wanted. The music, and more importantly, Elfman's trademark score, which you don't really talk about, but you know, it's there. It's another element that I really appreciate about this movie. All in all, I think it's a modern masterpiece that has a massive cast of supporting actors who collectively go all in on the idea of bringing the classic Dick Tracy comic strip to life for the modern audience. And if anything else, you've got to commemorate the film for that alone. So, yeah. And then the fact that, you know, I don't really have too much negative stuff to say about the movie, you know, that that should just go to give you a basic idea of how I feel based on our conversation for the last couple of hours on this movie should give you another idea. Like, yeah, this was a great film um, prior to this. Cause I, you know, my last time of watching it, it was on Letterboxd and I rated it and I'm like, yeah, I think I, last time I watched it, I gave it four stars. I'm like, let's bump it up another half star. So four and a half is what I come to. This is like one of the closest things you're going to get to a modern masterpiece in my book. Um, great film. So glad we covered it. And uh, I just, uh, yeah, it's pretty much all I can really say. It's what I have to say uh, in closing for this movie. So how about you? Yeah, my my head tells me that it's a three and a half star movie. I can't, I'm like, this can't be as good as it looks. The script could be better. And there's elements that could be better if I'm being nitpicky, but my heart says it's a four star movie. So I'm, I'm going with my heart on this one, you know, four nice. nice. It's just, it's a movie I love. I wouldn't change anything about it. I, and that sounds like criteria for a five star movie, but my head and my heart agree that this can't be a five star movie, but God damn it if I don't love it nonetheless. Um, I had a train of thought that I was going to go with and I lost it. <laughs> it happens. I, oh, know. I, hate yeah, when that oh, happens. I know what I was going to say. So, okay, cool. In a lot of ways, it feels like it's very influenced by Burton's Batman movie. Um, and again, yeah. you know, we touched on it earlier. To what extent, given its shooting, when it's shot compared to when Batman was being finished and, and put out and all that, who knows? Um, but having said that, and this is going to not make some people happy, I'm sure. I like this better than Batman. I like this better than any than either of the Burton Batman movies. I, I just find this more fun. Um I think the Batman movies, especially the first one's a little dated in some ways, doesn't quite hold up. Um, and I think this movie the first Batman. Yes. Yeah. I'll actually give you, I, I no doubt in my mind, Dick Tracy is better than Batman 89, Yeah, but I'm a big fan of returns and I'm not sure that if this is better than returns, but I, I, I it's close. I have to think about that one. I can't just give an answer right now, but I Definitely like, 89. Yeah, I, I like Batman Returns, and I always like that one better. The better of the two was Batman Returns. Um, yeah, yeah. But there's even things about that that I don't love, and I can't say that about this movie. I love everything about this movie. Um, there yeah. are parts that we talked about that I think could be better, but I, I wouldn't change them. It, they, I'm fine with them the way they are. I just think they could be a little bit better, but... Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a movie that I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm gonna definitely try to watch it more often because it's just it's fun. Like I just I'm I'm happy from start to finish every time I watch it. All right, well, this episode is sponsored by Joe Camel. It's time to bring back the cool camel. To be honest, smokes have always been a part of the jazz club setting that's featured in a lot of these films we'll be talking about this month. What better way to kick off a month full of noir than to have a classical character from a once popular cigarette brand sponsor the first episode? Kids, ask your parents about Joe Camel. As always, this is not a real sponsorship, rather more of a faux sponsorship. It's a harmless comedy bit and isn't meant to be ever taken seriously. Relax, these are the jokes. And on that note, thank you so much for listening to our Dick Tracy deep dive as we bring in Noir November halfway through the month on the Film Effect podcast. Dick Tracy, of course. 100% getting that full film effect seal of approval. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-going collection or previous episodes from our website, which is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow us on any of the following social media platforms for all news and also to just interact with us. Maybe stop in, say hey. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, email, all that stuff. You can, There's many ways of getting a hold of us. Uh, we really appreciate everyone who leave us honest ratings and reviews. So if you'd be so inclined, Spotify, Apple, Facebook, or wherever you listen that allows such wonderful things. Kick off your weekends with an all-new episode of FewerCast, now coming at you each and every Saturday. And of course, this show every Tuesday-ish on the main feed. Speaking of, next episode, we'll have my brother Andrew returning for the umpteenth time. It's been like, I think he's been on here for like, five or six to be honest with you but yeah he'll be back sitting down and talking about 1988's who framed roger rabbit we'll be giving that the full film effect treatment of course and uh yeah justin anything you'd like to add before we bounce no have a good day week month year everybody be good be safe yeah, keep on keeping on keeping on help thank you for joining me for this episode while our dear friend and colleague Corey recovers i'm sure if he was here he'd be thanking you as well yeah get better as for ev- yes as for everyone else thank you for listening and we'll see everyone real soon take care now bye-bye see ya this concludes our broadcast day